What's up, guys? Before we get going today, I wanted to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. They're the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry, along with years of wisdom and experience picking games. You guys uh, know these guys are legit by this point. I hope you're taking advantage. Any uh, package you buy with Skybox, you, you use the promo code RIPPY, you get 20% off. They've got monthly deals, seasonal deals. I would recommend just buying the All Sports Year Pass because you're going to make the money back uh, quick and then some, and it's definitely going to be worth the investment. But if you're looking for something a little smaller, you can do a month-long uh, total package with All Sports. You can do sports-specific packages, whether it's a week or a month, and you can also just do a daily pass if you want to check them out. They've got a package for your price range and your preferred sport. They've got NASCAR, baseball, basketball, golf. Football's going to come back in full spring in a few months. You need to check these guys out, partially because they run awesome promos too. One of the promos they're running right now is if you buy the NASCAR month-long package and it doesn't profit, you get your money back. So if you buy the package, use it for a month, and it doesn't profit, you're getting your money back, which is awesome, but it's probably going to profit. And on top of that, they have a special promo on May 30th. At the Coca-Cola 600 race in Charlotte, if they pick the winner correctly in the plays they give out, if you're subscribed to one of those monthly packages, you're going to get entered for a chance to win a thousand bucks. They'll draw uh, it randomly, and they will give away a thousand bucks cash, no questions asked, to a subscriber randomly. So that's a pretty sweet deal. So sign up for the monthly package. Go engage with their promo tweet at Skybox Pitch Picks. Excuse me, all one word pinned at the top of their page, and you'll be entered into a chance to win a thousand bucks. So that sounds pretty awesome. So go check it out, root for their picks to win the race. And hopefully that's you that wins the lucky a thousand bucks. Go check out everything they have at the site. They're awesome. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Enter your email. You get free emails uh, four or five times a week and free meets. You get a fifteen or $10 prime, 16 ounce prime strip for 10 bucks. And any second one you buy after that for 15 bucks, along with $2 off any fish in the fridge. I think it's time for a switch up. I'll ask Greg about that later on this week and see what we can get going for you guys. But check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Y'all know the drill. Absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. All kinds of sausages, steaks, filet burgers, Lane Train Special, Keith Carter Special, ribeye, or excuse me, bacon wrap filets, eight and six ounces a piece. Go check those guys out. They have all kinds of delicious stuff. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Colin and I got into our Sunday Megapod today, recapping the entire regular season, what Ole Miss has to play for in Hoover, the pitching situation, where Ole Miss stands with regard to national seed, the season as a whole, just all kinds of different college baseball regular season recap. So, needs no further tease. Let's roll. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, whenever you're listening to this show. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. On the other end of the line, as he always is, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us for another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Go subscribe to the Rippy Writes newsletter, rippywrites.substack.com. Free meets uh, helps fund this podcast. Uh, what's up, dude? We got a lot to talk about today. Not much, not much, yeah. Uh, yeah, last time, the birthday is what I meant to ask, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was good. I had to, had to work graduation this morning after my birthday, which is not a great experience, but anyways, um, yeah, so it was good. Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss 
kind of made my birthday a heart racing one, but uh, we'll take it. So almost finished with what, 18 and 12 in the regular season, which if you would have asked anyone like three weeks ago, they would have taken it. Um, it's just kind of weird how they got to that number. Yeah, no kidding. And on the birthday note, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not putting words or actions in your mouth here or whatever the, what the phrase may be. <laughs> but all I'm saying is if I'm graduating high school and one of the teachers looks like they'd been out the night before, maybe just battling a little bit, I'd respect the hell out of them. <laughs> maybe, maybe I garnered some respect on, uh, on Saturday morning. Some street cred amongst the kids. But, yeah, you're right. So we have a lot to talk about today. This is our final regular season show. Uh, our previous attempt at recording this, we had a technical issues, but what we were talking about is I was about to say – it feels like it's flown by, but at the same time, it absolutely does not feel like that. This regular season, I don't know, but yeah. it just felt long as hell uh, to me. Joey, just because the amount of stuff that's happened to Ole Miss, the amount of stuff that we had to cover, we'll get into all that today on the show. Look around the SEC. Look at Ole Miss's seating uh, and Hoover. Kind of look at who heard and helped themselves around the league this weekend. We'll get to a bunch of it. That was my crappy version of a tease. Now to the real stuff. You mentioned 18 and 12, but you, know, you, had, a, you had a theory earlier where – if you'd have told yourself what, you'd be surprised? Yeah, if Tim is going to miss 15 SEC games, um, you know, uh, or not start in what, frankly, yes, not start 15 SEC games. Gunnar Hoagland's going to only essentially start six SEC games. Max Trophy is going to throw three innings on the year, I think, maybe a little less than that. And Jerry Ely never takes a uh, – never hits a pitch or never catches a fly ball. I would have said, how in the – hell did this team win 18 games uh, in SEC play? But uh, credit to them. They did. And, and, you know, it's funny. People will look back at it, and rightfully so, that, you know, there's certain things that if they break different ways, this seems a 20 and 10 SEC team. But at the end of the day, with everything that they've gone through, uh, I think I think 18 and 12 is is, is pretty good indicator of, of how well this team has played at times this year. I, I don't – bad teams, bad SEC teams, or frankly average SEC teams don't go 18 and 12. Uh, you've got to be pretty good to go 18 and 12 in this league, and, and kudos to those kids for getting it done. It's the three sweeps because if you don't do that, you're 15 and 15 and talking sure. about a whole different deal going into Hoover this week. And I know we talked about the sweeps a lot, but it's, it's the sweeping is huge. I mean, Ole Miss – I almost wish they had won – yesterday for the sense of like it would be hilarious to just say they only won two out of three one time but uh they did it they did it the last two weekends so uh but yeah the sweeping is huge and uh particularly the early sweeps you know we talked about what does it actually like how do you tangibly quantify mowing through Auburn and Alabama at six and oh well it, it helped keep them afloat when they were going through some things and losing their best hitter and their best pitcher like to me that was some capital that they were able to kind of burn or some leeway they were kind of able to burn while they figured this thing out. And, you know, I, I say that not thinking they've totally figured it out now, but they've certainly – there was a – with both Hoagland and uh, Elko, there was a blow, a shock factor, and then a recovery. And I guess what I'm saying, the two sweeps kind of helped them during that shock period where they're trying to figure out what they are and what they need to do about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, when you talk about, you know, you're starting off 6-0 and and then you lose five out of your next six series. Um, and the only reason you're able to be in the conversation to host a regional uh, and to do those types of things and, frankly, go to Hoover next week and play for a national seed, um, the only way you're able to do that is if you go 6-0 and against Auburn and Alabama. And credit to them. And, you know, what doesn't get talked enough about, and I get it, it's series losses, but I don't think anybody outside of maybe Florida would say uh, that Ole Miss played well in any of those series when they lost five of six. Um, but they didn't get swept. Like, not, they did not get swept one time this year. 
Um, and, and I think that's extremely important when you talk about the reality of this team going 18 and 12. Um, you know, if one of those weekends goes like, yes, the sweeps are extremely important, but the weekend that they don't play well in Starville, they won a game. The weekend they don't play well against LSU, they won a game. So I, I think that's just as important, really, uh, as far as sweeping, is that even when you didn't play well, you didn't have disaster happen. Yeah, you're exactly right. I'm glad you brought that up because it's a lot of times we catch ourselves, myself included, and I think I pointed this out on one of the podcasts, is like we talk about the sweeping aspect, but not getting swept a single time is just as massive. I mean, Mississippi State can't say that. I guess Vanderbilt can. Has, did Florida get swept this year? Yes, they got swept at South Carolina. Yeah, so like there's good teams that are in the running for – you know, national seating and, and host sites that, that, that cannot say that. And so you're exactly right because not getting swept is every bit as important to getting swept. And, you know, sweeping three times is hard to do, but having a weekend where you don't get swept at all, I mean, if you're a good team, I guess it's not as difficult as I was about to try to make that case. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is, yeah, it's huge. It's, it's, it's uberly important to be able to take a game. I think the one that sticks out in everyone's mind is probably the LSU series where they were – dead in the water, down 10 to 1, staring a sweep in the face, and they come back and win that game. That was an important win, not only kind of for the team psyche post-Tim Elko, um, and not only that, but like the, the resume. I mean, if you're 17 and 13, they're probably still okay, but it's not – it's a conversation still to where them hosting yeah. the regional in Oxford is now no longer – like it doesn't even need to be discussed. If you lose that one, it's a discussion. And honest to God, who, know, who the hell knows where the team goes from there because – you know, if they go into the next weekend against South Carolina, we talked about it at the time. Like, in their mind, they erased a 10-1 deficit and won a wild game with Kemp Alderman hitting a walk-off. They didn't lose 2-3 to a bad right. LSU team uh, and kind of limp into the next week. That, both of those things are facts, but in terms of their mindset, that was a huge win for their psyche as well as their resume. Yep, yep. And, and I think we'll look back on this year. And, and frankly, I mean, you talk – I say they didn't play well uh, at A&M. I kind of – now that I sit here and think about it, they actually did play fine at A&M. Um, a boneheaded managerial decision cost them the game on Sunday. And you scored eight runs on Friday night. Your ace just got hurt, and your bullpen wasn't good enough. So now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, they, they actually did play pretty well at A&M. And frankly, since that um, walk-off against LSU, they've played some of their better baseball of the year. And that's kind of coincided with them getting it together defensively because I don't remember what game it was in that A&M series. I agree with you. I think they played fine. But they did have a couple of defensive gaffes, and I remember one of them, I can't remember what exactly it was, didn't look great. And so you kind of chalk that up to not playing well, and that's kind of partially true. But that's also like kind of who this team is. They're not a good defensive team. But uh, you mentioned play their best baseball after A&M. I don't think it's a coincidence it's coincided – I know they weren't great this weekend. Gonzalez had some issues, but they've been much cleaner defensively. Like, you had not had multiple games in a row where they booted it around the ton. Correct, correct. This team is never going to be elite defensively, but Mike said this, they've always at least caught the ball. And and this weekend, outside of, you know, obviously Gonzalez, I think, had two errors on the weekend. They caught the baseball. T.J. McCants is turning into what is going to be a really, really good defensive center fielder. Um, he had an issue this weekend with the sun that people are going to bring up. You lose balls in the sun. Like, that just kind of happens. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I, I think he's becoming a really good center fielder. I think Justin Bench healthy is a pretty good third baseman. Um, you know, and Kevin Graham is – I think he's better than Thomas Dillard out there. And, and Dillard was, you know, 
fine or whatever. But I think Graham's okay in left field. And then, obviously, you're elite behind the plate. Um, yeah, look, this defense is never, like I said, going to be one of the best in the countries. But it's it's made itself mediocre. And I don't say that, like, in a mean way. I'm just saying, like, this team's ceiling defensively probably is mediocre. And I think they've probably gotten there. Yeah, absolutely. And we're kind of doing this podcast in reverse order, but that's quite all right. I've actually got a way we can tie it up and talk big picture again in the end. But I will just go ahead and get into it because I was kind of leaning that way anyway. If you were to ask, like, the two biggest wins of Ole Miss's season this year, what uh, – I'll, I'll ask you this one. Two most important wins, uh, what are they? Because I have – I'm not talking about – like, don't say, like, the two Vanderbilt wins because it – was the biggest series win like just two sure. most important wins of the year in that sense uh, I have um, two obvious candidates but I'll be interested to hear yours so the the Sunday game against Vanderbilt uh is is my one because frankly this this team was 0-5 in rubber matches before that and they needed to win one they needed to win a game where you either win the series or lose the series and I thought that was important um hmm. I will go say so it's, it's hard because they all run together I'll go game three against LSU because if they lose that one, God knows what happens. Um, so I'll go game three against LSU and game three against Vanderbilt. Yeah, okay. So it would have been a normal concept if I had given you actually time to prepare beforehand to think about <laughs> this instead of just springing it on you. We had one of the same and then the same series for the second one, but not the same game. I was going to go Sunday game against LSU – because all the same reasons you mentioned, I don't have a ton to add to that. You know, if they do get swept by that bad LSU team kind of coming off the heels of, of, of not playing very well, you know, that was their fourth series loss in a row, I think. Was that third? Right. I think it was fourth. No, okay. they, had won, they had won a series before that, hadn't they? Wasn't South, no? Yeah, it was. You're right. You're right. It was four ser- series losses in a row. It was yeah. the first time since 01 that it happened or something yeah. like that. They come back to win that game 10-9, to erase the 9-1 deficit. Like you mentioned, like where does that go with South Carolina the next weekend if they don't come back to win that game? And that kind of sparked the win streak that really kind of stabilized this team. They win that game and then they they uh, they sweep South Carolina. And now you've got a whole different outlook. Uh, despite A and M not necessarily going well, but I thought that was a really important four game stretch in their season. The second one, I was actually just going to go. I mean, you're, the Sunday is really valid to me. The Friday game against Vanderbilt because. It's the first game post Gunnar Hoagland. Um, it's the number two team in the country at the time. You know, arguably maybe the best. I think Arkansas is probably better. Kumar Rocker, one of the best pitchers in the sport, certainly the bi- sport's biggest superstar on the mound. You just lost Gunnar Hoagland. You got Doug going back to Friday night. Like, I'm just not sure where this team goes and where that series goes. If they get shellacked by Rocker, Leiter does what he does against them. I'm not sure the Sunday game goes the same way. And it was in a hugely important win because the emotion they played with, you could tell they were trying to kind of make a statement that they weren't done yet. And then the second part of that, too, it was also one of their be- – that might have been their best played game of the year. Sure. Um, you know what's funny? It, you, you talk about Vanderbilt being the, probably the second-best team in the country. Do you know what Vanderbilt's seed is in the SEC tournament? Four? Four. <laughs> so they're the second-best team in the country. And I don't disagree. But they're the fourth seed at the SEC. It's insane. Yeah, it, it is. They, they were a strike away yesterday from winning the SEC East. The umpire botches a strike three call. Kentucky hits a home run the next pitch, and they lose the SEC East to that, their rival. That's <laughs> tough. I hate it for them. It breaks my heart. 
Yeah, I uh, I mean, I don't know. They have so little to work with. The uh, let's see. All right, let's get into the series. I just I thought that was an interesting exercise. I have a couple stats I'll throw at you, but we'll save that for the end. Let's actually get to the baseball that happened this weekend. Ole Miss wins on Friday night. Was that eight? Yeah, eight to five. I was making no Thursday night. Thursday night. Thursday night. We did a live show on that. I don't know how in the hell I am already forgetting such things, but so it goes. Ole Miss wins two to nothing on Thursday night. I was the second time's a charm there. Uh, you know, we recap some of this in the live show. We didn't do a podcast. I hopped on a podcast with Chase. Uh, about it, and I think they put that up on Rebel Grove. But we haven't really rehashed a ton of it afterward. We'd already been on the uh, on the live show for three hours, and there was no podcast place to put it. So we'll go through that one. Uh, really just kind of the takeaway, Doug Nikhazy continues to save this team time and time and time again. And, you know, we had this debate a little bit on the live show, but, like, you talk about guys uh, who you want to win one game. And, you know, I was asking you from the framework of Ole Miss pitchers of the last decade, and you just were, like, went from it from the sense of, in college baseball or the SEC in general. And honestly, the lists are equally as short. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I don't think there's anybody in the country I would take if you said, hey, I got to win a game to go to the College World Series over Doug Nikhazy. I don't think there's anybody else in the country I'd take. Um, you know, so it, he's special, man. And, you know, the stuff doesn't overwhelm you, but his competitiveness, his ability to locate pitches, his ability, what's so impressive to me is we'll look up, right, and his pitch count will be at, like, 68 through the fourth. And then you look up, and the, the cat got through seven innings. It's like, how did he do that? Um, yeah, he was like 50 man. pitches through three to underscore your point on Friday. On Thursday, yeah. excuse me. And, and he figures out a way to get through seven. Um, yeah, the kid's <laughs> special. Kid's special. And, and Ole Miss fans need to enjoy watching him pitch. He's, you know, I, I think he's probably limited to accident Ole Miss uniform. Um, you know, so he's really good. And, and there's not – I mean, obviously, look, his stuff is what it is. I mean, if you watch him, he throws a really hard slider. Uh, throws a really good curveball, fastball that he can put in. What, what impresses me so much just from a pitching standpoint is his ability to pitch to both sides of the plate. Sometimes hard on left-handers to get that uh, fastball inside to righties if you're not throwing 90-92. His ability to just stuff it in there is, is impressive. Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, there, there's very few people in the country and very few people that have worn an Ole Miss uniform that I would take over him if I had to win it. Frankly, there's nobody I'd rather have than Doug in an Ole Miss uniform, um, even including Drew Pomerantz. Yeah, you're dead on. Oh, okay, so that was the one Chase put ahead of it. He said Pomerantz and then Nikhazy, but he kind of put it 1A, 1B. So, uh, yeah, that, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, pitching stuff and pitching mechanics aside, if you're a college baseball coach, and really just kind of a coach in any sort of sport and you're recruiting kids, you're trying to – and it's impossible to gauge and you really don't know. You kind of try to look at certain factors and determine if they have – I hate saying it factor, but I don't really know how to describe it. It's the poise and the moxie and the competitiveness that Doug has and has had since he's yeah. on campus. Look, I know you want prospects. You want highly rated guys that are going to be high draft picks. But, man, Mike Bianco would take three of the three kids that had that level of composure and competitiveness to match, you know, what is a good – Sure. Interesting talking about how his competitiveness, because we're acting, we're acting like he's some gym rat who doesn't have a good skill set. He has a great skill set, just yeah. not a elite one. I guess the point I'm trying to make is this is what dudes try to find in recruiting is kids that have that, and Mike Bianco would take four more of them. It's so hard, though, right, to find that type of guy, though, because – You can't quantify they, Well, it, you can't, but how is Doug Nikhazy going to get rattled at high school? He's the best player on the field. You know what I mean? Like yep. – of course he's going to be poised because he's going to kick everybody's tail. He's better than them. 
Um, so that's so hard to find. So it's an impressive job. And look, Doug Nikhazy did not arrive at Ole Miss as some highly regarded prospect. This is a guy that's worked his tail off to, to be the – I mean, look, when he came into Ole Miss, if he didn't add fastball velo, he didn't add some some tilt to some off-speed pitches, he was never going to pitch here and be successful. Um, he got here his freshman year and worked, upticked his velo, and uh, from the time he stepped on the mound as a freshman, has just been special. I was about to say, he's never been bad. Like, it, that's what's crazy about it. That's why I would take him over Pomerantz. Pomerantz, if you look at his freshman numbers, not as great as you think. And it, it's absolutely perfect, like, for the role Ole Miss needs him to play right sure. now because the, there's so much weight on his shoulders, particularly with Gunner out, every single time he steps on the mound, and he delivers well, every single time. Let's put it like this. He can't lose again. Like, he cannot lose. No, he cannot. I, I will say this. I don't think he pitches Tuesday. And if he lost on Wednesday, it's not the end of the world. But after this week, he can't lose again or this team's done. Yes. And it's kind of – it's not literally been that way because we haven't been in the postseason. Sure. But a couple of these starts without Gunner, if they lose, they're kind of toast in terms of what they wanted to achieve, one of those being a home regional. Like, he had three, four starts down the stretch where it's like they have to win this game or they don't really have much of a prayer. There's not a much of a path that he delivered every time. Yeah, I mean, they've lost one game this year that he's pitched, and it was LSU, and it wasn't his fault. And his 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 uh, game log this year is hilarious because it's six point one after six point one after six point one, and then he got five outs in his season debut. Yeah, yeah. Somehow, yeah. like that that game was that game was so weird, and he only ended up giving up three runs on three hits. But it's it's funny just looking at his game log because it's. It's quality start, quality start, quality start, complete game, quality start, quality start. And then just at the top, it's 1.2. <laughs> it's pitch count got to him. That may be the, that's probably the worst outing of his career. It was. It absolutely was. Not even close. It was the only time that's ever happened to Yeah, which is insane to say because like, he didn't completely blow up. Part of the reason he went out early in that TCU game is because the inning, uh, it was such a long inning before him as well. And like things were just not, not going he well. He right. He walked four in a row. Yeah, that's the only time he walked four hitters this year, and he did it in uh, <laughs> two thirds. Um, and like the perfect example of, of of kind of his toughness and his ability to always get it done. If we want to kind of reel it in back to this game, in the what was it, the fourth or the fifth inning where he walked back to back guys, and they had either corners or like bases loaded or first and it was, second. It was cor- it was corners one out. With in what inning was that? I think it was the fifth. I want to make sure I have this correct because I think it's – It may have been the fourth. Maybe the fourth. Okay, I, I, want, to put, I want to make sure I have this right because I think it's, uh, it, it's a great example of just how tough he is. Let's see. Make sure. All right, so it, it's the third inning. It's, it's the third inning that um, it, is the one I was thinking of to where he gets the pop out, then he allows back-to-back singles, and he, I think he fell behind – like one or two and oh or something on the next guy. And it's like, okay, he's not having it. And they certainly need more out of him out of the third. To where Georgia scores a couple runs there with the way Ole Miss was performing offensively, uh, you're not feeling particularly great about their chances. And then he gets behind 2-0 to Jernigan and then comes back to get him swinging fly out and all of a sudden the inning's over. Like it felt like Georgia was going to take control of the game at that point. And if Doug Nikhazy isn't able to get through that point in the game, Ole Miss was toast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they hit a double there, go down two nothing. All this is up a creek at that point. Um, so yeah, I mean, the the kid's special, and there was no doubt in my mind when that situation came up. All right, he's gonna get a strikeout and he's gonna get out because that's what he does. Uh, that's what aces do, and that's what Doug is. So, um, you know, 
kid's really special, and, and he's he's fun to watch in an Ole Miss uniform. And every time I watched him pitch on Thursday, it just went through my mind: you can't waste this versus a four seed. You cannot waste this versus a four seed. Um, and I, I, if I lean towards Mike, won't do it. But God Almighty, they, 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 if there has never been like a uniting cry to people to uh, like hate this guy or dislike him as a manager. If he throws Doug versus a four seed and they lose a regional, uh, he's going to lose a, a lot of people that, that you know, like like for me, I'm never one that have said, hey, fire Mike Bianco because I think he's a pretty good coach. But, like, I, I would stop defending him at that point because th- this kid is too special to run out there against Northeastern. Yeah, it, <laughs> he is. And what the, the point I made about it is, like, one, I, and I think I said this to you while we were still doing the live show, but, like, if he announces his starter in the Monday press conference after selection Monday or whatever, and it's Doug against a four seed, that is the earliest he will ever have had people mad at it. That would be the negative whatever inning. Like you get what I'm saying? It's 72 hours before they even throw a pitch and everyone will already be irate, which look, I know you can't put a ton of stock into like, you know, fans and anger and all that. But at this point in Mike Bianco's tenure, every single in-game decision almost feels like the end of the world. I mean, how you had two of them this year, that cost him. If you do that and you give the fan base and everyone kind of having doubt, better win it. Your way is winning as a roster. If you do that and then give them 72 hours to stew on it, even if you win the game, like if Ole Miss comes out and scores 12 runs and it's 12 nothing after three innings, people are still going to be pissed because it's like, well, that was great use of our best pitcher. Yeah. I don't think it's just win the game. If he does that and loses the regional, he will have lost about everyone. Yeah, that's, will, that's what I was trying to get at. You're exactly right. Yeah, he will – if Derek Diamond goes up and blows up against Virginia Tech or NC State or whoever the hell's there, uh, and they fall short in the regional, people will people will be sick of it. And, and I'll be one of them. I, I, I think I have decided that my, my uh, rationale regarding Mike Bianco is dependent on what he does with Doug Nikhazy in this regional. Because, I, I mean, and look – I know we're a, a decent ways from that. We got an SEC tournament to play and all that, but like, that's the decision for me. Like, are you? Because look, there, there's one path for this team to win a regional, and it's three and zero. Um, and your best chance of going three and zero is is kicking the four seeds' teeth in with Derek Diamond or whoever. Um, and we can get to that in a minute. But like, the, the best path for success is holding Doug for Saturday, and uh, it's just. I, I think that is I think that's the biggest decision Mike's made this year, and I just really hope he gets it right. Yeah, and not to uh, – I, I hope I didn't make people on a Saturday – Sunday afternoon want to, like, drive off the road or something, but something Chase brought up in his podcast when uh, we were talking on late Thursday night. I texted you this the next morning. Look, it's just one man's opinion, but Chase has been around Mike Vanco a long time. He put the odds at greater than 60% that Doug pitches game one. He says Mike always throws his best pitcher. He does. He, he does. He um, twice and it hasn't worked out. So, all right, and, and I understand where Chase is coming from, but here's what I'll say with this. And, and look, I could be wrong and Doug Nikhazy take the mound on Tuesday against Auburn. He didn't commit to Doug on Tuesday. And, and usually it's – I mean, in, in 19 he said, hey, Etheridge is going to pitch on Tuesday. And 16 he said, hey, Bramlett's going to pitch on Tuesday. He usually knows who's going to throw that game on Tuesday, and he didn't commit to Doug on Tuesday. I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that he may be trying to realize, hey, I can't waste Doug against lower-level opponents if I want to do something. 
Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into that. Maybe Doug pitches Tuesday. Uh, but, I, but I did kind of think that was interesting that he wouldn't commit to naming a starter for Tuesday's game yesterday. And I'll save this conversation for the end, but I agree. I, I, I mean, like, it's, it's the logical decision, right? Like, you hope he makes the right one. Uh, I, I think that would one would kind of put the nail in the, uh, you know, there's a lot of people I think still on the fence uh, kind of what to do with him. Uh, and, like, I think there's a lot of there's – a, there's a crowd that's never liked him. There's a crowd that would back him to the end. I think there's a much larger crowd in the middle that kind of sees both sides. That's me. You want to talk about knocking all of those people towards the anti-crowd in the split second? Would you put his name on the probable in game one of a regional against a four seed? Yeah. And, and look, there are certain situations where I say, okay, I get it. Like Grand Canyon shows up with their second-round pick on Friday night. Okay, I get it. Jackson State shows up, Northeastern shows up, Moorhead State shows up. I, I, I'll I be infuriated if Doug Nikhazy throws against someone. Look, there, there's not a one-size-fits-all of this. There are certain four seeds where, hey, they're pretty good. Like, there's there, – you know, Grand Canyon is a four seed and, and, and Moorhead State's going to be a four seed. Those are not the same quality of baseball team. But if you throw your ace against a lower-level four seed that doesn't have an ace on Friday night, Man, it's, it's indefensible at that point. Yeah, it is. And at the risk of uh, pissing people off two weeks out, maybe we're just starting a groundswell. Maybe people like send letters. I will say out. this, though. I will it. say this. Uh, and this is a little bit based off this weekend. We'll get to Saturday and Brandon Johnson here in just a minute. Um, I'm not going to – and look, I, I think it would be indefensible to throw uh, uh, Doug against the four seed, uh, assuming, you know, it's not Grand Canyon or someone of the, of the ilk. Um, I do think Brandon Johnson and Taylor Broadway provide you an opportunity to still, even if Mike makes that dumb decision, win on Saturday because you don't need much out of Brandon Johnson at that point or out of Derek Dobbins at that point. Sure. No, no, you're exactly right. But why put yourself in that position? Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But no, your point's well stated. And it's also the other side of the coin is like the, you're operating under a pretty safe assumption, like you mentioned, outside of a couple four seeds, that Ole Miss is going to score somewhere between eight to ten runs, eight to twelve runs, you know, maybe more than yeah. that. I'm just putting a, a safe estimate at a ballpark. Like, what are the odds at whatever sports book you want to go to, if you're into that sort of thing, that Ole Miss scores eight runs against Jackson State on Friday night of a region? Oh, God. Minus 200? Yeah. Eight, eight runs, I would put minus 500. Okay. Um, I'm not yeah. going to call you as an odds maker anytime soon, but I get I get the point you're trying to make. I go but, minus 200, but you the overall consensus here it's a heavy heavy favorite, and so that's that's kind of the yeah. last part of the argument I'll get to before preemptively making people mad before Mike even makes a decision. Uh, but we do get good listenership to these shows, so uh, if y'all want to start a mutiny or something, uh, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> want to I don't want to, in, don't want to incite the uh, incite the. Uh, I just want to so make it clear up. On the Monday that, you know, they have their media deals. Um, so, I think that, you know, just talking about this makes this clear for me. Like, I think Mike will know on Monday when he sees the field what he's going to do. So, if he says on Monday, yeah, I don't know who we're going to start on Friday. Well, it ain't Doug case. No, that victory Doug, will have been achieved. Yeah, if, if he says that we're not sure what we're going to do from a pitching standpoint, that means to me it's not Doug case. And then on Monday, if he says, yeah, it's Doug McKenzie, well, then me and you are going to do a podcast where I yell for 50 minutes that afternoon. Yeah, so can we get, like, you know, that classic overused meme of those people in that Irish bar with some actual game on the screen and the <laughs> they all go nuts? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and people put fake stuff of it? Like, 
someone needs to live stream the press conference and there needs to be a gathering at Blu-ray or the library. And as soon as he said the words, I don't know who we're starting on Friday, everyone needs to react like that. I can, I can, if someone will video that, or if I can get it on zoom, I can get someone to make that video. Sweet. If he, as soon as he does that, I mean, it's Memorial Day. Most of you don't have work. Just go outside and pop a bottle, slam it over your head. I don't care. But uh, the rest of the day is uh, it's, it's drink. It's a win. Yeah. You've already no, won. If he, if he says, I don't know, and then Doug Nikhazy starts on Friday, I'm going to prison. Yeah. It, it, Ole Miss needs three games, three wins to get through a regional. In reality, it's four. And one of them starts the Monday before the regional. So, right, getting it back on the rails to the game, there's not a whole lot to add to the Tuesday game. No. Doug was special. Ole Miss didn't play really well, and Doug was special enough to overcome it. Um, the second kid they brought in, uh, I forget his name, Polk, was actually yeah, pretty, pretty good. good. The way Ole Miss wasn't hitting Wagner before uh, before Bench literally hit him and knocked him out of the game was kind of concerning. But the the Polk kid that came in relief was a lot better. Yeah, he was really good. Give Look, from a totality standpoint of the weekend, give Georgia a ton of credit. Uh, this was an elite offense that they really kind of shut down um, outside of, you know, the eighth and 11th inning on Friday night. Uh, this is an offense that they shut down. They deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, I don't think Ole Miss swung it well. I thought they had some bad at-bats. But, yeah, Polk was really good, really, really good, and, and was able to limit Ole Miss. I mean, this is a kid that, you know, people get and, – and this annoys me with people that, that watch, look at stats and stuff. Look, I'm obviously a big stats and analytics and all that stuff guy. But everybody's like, well, he walks the park. You know, just wait him out. It's like, bro, he's throwing strides. What do you want to do? Like, you want to sit there and go down 0-2 every time and hope he goes 4-2 and walks you? Like, no, like, sometimes this just happens that these guys that are really good and have really good stuff that usually walk people, they just don't walk people on that day. Yeah, and you're exactly right, and that's exactly what happened. The kid was on and the kid figured it out. It, like, the flip side of that is, you know, it, it would be – it would be like people – that gripe people would have would be more legitimate is if that kid is struggling for the command and Ole Miss swings at a couple of bad 2-0 pitches and they pop. Sure. Like, be very selective there. But you're right. If he's in the zone, you got to treat him like any other guy. Yeah, and he was. And, and he shut Ole Miss down and credit to him. I mean, I thought they pitched extremely well this entire weekend. Um, <laughs> frankly, Ole Miss was a little lucky to get out of there with two this weekend. Uh, they were very fortunate to get out of there with two this weekend, and that was kind of what I was about to say – you know, credit to Georgia and, and the resiliency of coming back and, and really pounding Ole Miss. I know they had the, uh, the, the pitching advantage with Cannon going on Saturday, and unless Drew McDaniel was pretty good and got them five and let the bullpen set up, Ole Miss was at a disadvantage on the mound. Sure. But just from the sheer mentality standpoint of it, credit to Georgia. They lose a really hard they – they thought they needed two this weekend. Scott Strickland, their manager, head coach, whatever you want to call him, said that. Um, that he thinks if they got two, they're pretty good to get in the NCAA tournament. And we talked about this in the preview show. You were going to get their best shot, and they lose a really tough competitive game on Thursday just because they couldn't score any runs across, and just Doug Nikhazy was better than them. And yep. then they come back and lose an absolute heartbreaker after leaving 5-1 to one in the eighth. It's kind of the – you know, they fell victim to Ole Miss's two biggest strengths. They fell victim to Doug Nikhazy, and they fell victim to an offense where it really just doesn't relent. And there's no break. And if you give the offense, you know, one sliver of an opening to break through, they're going to slam the door wide the hell open. And so they fell victim to that on Friday, and which had to be a, just a crushing defeat for Georgia. And to come back, you know, they kind of see – I imagine – I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily looking at it, but most projections, even after that second loss, still had them as one of the last five in. And so to kind of regroup and come back and do what you need to do to secure a tournament berth, I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah, no, they were really good on Saturday, and that's a credit to them. Um, look, Ole Miss, um, 
look, there was a there was a very fine path that Ole Miss had to walk on Saturday, especially having used used Taylor Broadway two games in a row. Um, likely not available on Saturday. I don't know that. Um, but I, I kind of feel like they're not going to use him three days in a row before the SEC tournament. Uh, maybe they would have, but it just kind of feels like he was limited or unavailable. Um, so it was a very fine line that Ole Miss had to walk on Saturday, and, and they didn't walk it. And then they got their teeth kicked in by a really good pitcher. I thought Cannon was really good, and it happens. That's why you, uh, that's why you won the first two. Um, so good, good on Ole Miss for doing that, and good on Georgia for uh, showing up on Saturday after, like you said, really tough loss on Friday night. Let's hit the Friday game, the Friday game a little bit as well, um, sure. because so and, and I think I admitted this on our show. I was at uh, the Rangers Astros game on Friday. Uh, Adonis Garcia hit a walk off. It was pretty cool. That uh, is cool. Yeah, no, it was awesome. It was a great time. The crowds were huge. A lot of Astros fans. It was actually it was a ton of fun. Like that was one of the best Major League Baseball games I've ever been to. But be that as it may, Ole Miss was playing their baseball game while I was sitting in the seats there. I uh, shout out to a longtime listener and friend of mine. Uh, Brent for texting me updates. I was getting updates from you. I had pieces of it up on my phone until my girlfriend would tell me to put that down and enjoy what's in front of me. Um, I wasn't locked in. So I'll preface that when we talk about this game, it seems like diamond was kind of had to like, you know, he's kind of like a roller coaster that you're not sure how sturdy it is. And you're sitting there thinking like, okay, is he going to blow up now? When's this going to happen? And it looks like he skirted, a couple opportunities to blow up and then just couldn't quite do it. In All right, so here's what I'll say about Derek Dunn. Um, outside of Texas, LSU, and Auburn, I thought this was his most impressive performance of the year. And, and, and here's why I'll say that. And, and like you said, you, you didn't watch, so you wouldn't know this. Derek Dunn's velocity on Friday night was 89 to 91. He didn't have it. He didn't have anything. Uh, wasn't able to throw a slider for a strike. Just, just, I mean, you know, it was one of those days where, like, like last Saturday against Vanderbilt, I thought he had it. I thought he had his stuff. He just didn't really compete that well. He had nothing on Friday night and had every opportunity to blow up, and he did. Look, his stat line, you go look at it, it's not great. Not great. Nobody's going to, you know, be convinced of that. Um, but I thought it was important for him to get through 5.1 and give up four or whatever with C minus to D stuff on the day. Because, look, even though Derek Diamond has not been good this year, he is still a starting pitcher, and sometimes you're just not going to have it. And on those days, you have to give your team an opportunity to win the baseball game and keep them in the baseball game and give a lot of credit to that kid. Because early in the game, I was saying, hey, get him out. He's fist and blow up. He always blows up. And it never blew up on him, and he pitched with stuff that wasn't near as dominant dominant, dominant as he always has. And uh, he kept his team in the baseball game. I, th- I was impressed by Dominic on Friday, I'll be honest. I, th- I, was, in- I was interested to where you were going to go with that because it was kind of a mixed bag of uh, rage texting and just questions I had while sitting in the seat on Friday night or whatever. But you're exactly right, and I think the two best examples of that are the bottom of the second and the bottom of the third inning where he gets two outs in a row – he gets the strikeout, the flyout. Then it goes single, 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 or three singles in a row that result in a run. Um, I think it was an infield single, and then they had what? Oh, he gets the second because there's an error by Shot and Yay. Then you get another single that makes it one nothing, and then another single that gets the guy at third. And you're like, great, here comes the two out blow up. It's happening in the second inning, and he gets out of the inning. That doesn't become four nothing. I guess is my point. If you see what I'm right. getting at. Then the very next inning. Hit by pitch, double, scores a run. Then he gets foul out, single, okay, whatever, another run comes across. 
strikeout, ground out to third. So that one wasn't necessarily the two out blow up, but he goes hit by pitch in a double and only allows, what, two additional runs to come across instead sure. of, you know, five and gave Ole Miss a chance. He needs to be better, but like you mentioned, and I didn't know this because, like you said, I wasn't locked in. I watched these two innings because I found them interesting uh, upon looking back at the box score, a couple other pitches. But as you pointed out, he didn't have it. And so I thought that was an encouraging sign. You, yes, you want your number two guy to be better, but we all know the circumstances and what he's dealing with here in terms of who he's replacing, kind of what his story has been this year. Not blowing up I thought was pretty important, and I think you encapsulated that well. What did he do in the fourth and fifth inning if you have the play-by-play there? Sure, pop up, fly out, fly out. Fifth inning, he goes pop up, strike out, ground out. He retired six. So he gives you two scoreless, and Ole Miss cuts it to three to one during that point. That is right. So, and then he comes out the next inning. I think he gives up a hit and gets an out, and they pull him. Am I correct in that? Lead off double, then a strikeout, then Kimbrel. Yeah. So he left the mound with his team down three to one, and anybody that's watched this team all year would say, "Hey, they ain't losing three to one. They're gonna come back." And, and they obviously did. So he, on Friday night, gave one of the best offenses in the country a chance to win the baseball game. And frankly, at this point, especially when you consider his velocity and him just not being able to, to throw his breaking ball in the strike zone at a consistent rate, at this point, that's all you can ask for from him. Give me a chance on Saturday and let the offense take over and, and give that kid a – look, I've been really hard on him, and I think most of it's been fair, but – uh, give that kid a hell of a lot of credit. He he fought his guts out on Friday night and gave his team an opportunity to win the baseball game. Yeah, and if you're an Ole Miss fan, you can only somewhat hope that he derives some sort of confidence out of this. You hope he gets back to his locker or where the hell, wherever the hell he sits after the game to kind of like think about what transpired. And his ability to go out and give five and a third, like you said, without having his best stuff and not having a blow up, like, yes, he probably would have wanted to pitch better. I just wonder, and you can only hope he derives some sort of confidence from what he did not having his best stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, Ole Miss's issue this weekend from a starting pitching perspective is not Derek Donald. It's, it's what the hell are you going to do on Sunday? Because, you know, like how we, we said that, hey, this Derek Diamond experiment needs to be over after the Sunday performance against Arkansas. Yes. Drew McDaniel experience needs to be over. Okay. Got to do something else. We can get into that. I've got that. Well, uh, I want to hit the later endings of this real quick, but I, that's an interesting point you bring up. Sure. The, last, yeah. the last thing I'll say on Diamond as we kind of spin everything towards the regional, look, depending on who you face as a two or three seed, like if, assuming Ole Miss wins on – well, actually, I'm not going to do that to the people. <laughs> if Mike does it, it does what he, he thinks we're going to do and he's against a four seed, that's going to be a much weaker offense. But let's just say, whether it's a region – like he has to pitch again. Let's do this. Let's say Ole Miss plays a regional four seed that has a really good ace and they have to throw Doug. That will not make people infuriated. No, and I, I guess what I'm just – what I'm saying, the odds – even if he does face a two or a three seed, the odds of the, that, that team's offense being better than the ones he's faced over the last no, – no, no, no. pretty slim. It's probably going to be a competition drop-off even if he goes against a two or a three. And, look, here, here's what I'll say, um, you know, going back, and I think it's smart to tie everything into a regional because it's where this team is headed. They don't need let, – let's just pretend that Doug does throw on Friday night. Ole Miss is going to win that game 6-7-1. to seven to one. You're not going to have to use Broadway. You're not going to have to use Doherty. More than likely, you're not going to have to use Brandon Johnson. You're not going to have to use Kimball. So, the, the rationale and the positive from if you have to throw Doug against the four seed, you win the game. Uh, you don't really use any of your bullpen arms. You don't need a hell of a lot out of Derek Diamond on that Saturday against the two seed. You just need like two or three, bud, because after that, I got Kimball, I got Brandon Johnson, I got Jack Gordon, I got Taylor Broadway coming for your ass. Um, so 
so that's the that's the rationale that if Mike said that, you know, hey, we think uh, Doug can, you know, save our bullpen and, and we can bullpen this thing, and that gives us the best opportunity to win both games, I could get behind that. Um, so, but what I guess I'm saying is, Derek Diamond doesn't have to do a whole lot in a regional against a team that, like you said, is not going to be better than the SEC offense he's faced over the past month. Yeah, you're exactly right. And the third, the kind of the, the, the complete disaster scenario, if Mike does make that decision too, is, you know, we keep putting all the Doug keeps having this all this pressure applied to him. And there have been times late in the year where he doesn't have his best stuff and still manages to go six. I haven't checked in a while. I, I, if I was still on the beat, I maybe would like try to give him a pseudo physical. I still think he is a human. He, he might be approaching uh, where he, he's not, and he is in fact a robot. I, I'd like for someone to get on that, maybe ask the tough questions. But he is a human, and the disaster scenario in that would be is where Doug really doesn't have it, and is only. I don't think the odds of this are good at all. I'm not projecting this, but I'd just like to remind you, he is a human, and if he can only go four and a third on a Friday, then you've really screwed yourself up. Yeah, but Doug not having it against a four seed still likely results in six innings and two earned runs, though. Oh, you're you're exactly right. The odds of this are small. I'm just saying it is baseball. Well, yeah, I mean, it, that's worst case for sure. I just, yeah. Uh, I, My point I, is, why put yourself in that position? Why do it? Well, I get what you're saying, but is it not possible he doesn't have it on the Saturday against the two seed and that results in a lot worse scenario? That is true. And you're probably screwed either way if you lose either one of the first two games. No, no, no. This team is going nowhere if they lose a Doug Nikhazy start in the postseason. Yep, you're exactly right. That's probably a simple way to put it. Uh, this is the Mike Bianco experience, softening the blow on moves he has not made yet. Um, so let's, uh, the later innings of this Georgia game were, were really sure. interesting because it's, uh, it's this offense that just continues to come at you and there's no break, right? Because, I mean – the way the game was going, it seemed like, in the vibe, it seemed like even with this offense, like if you were an Ole Miss fan watching this, I imagine you know, the way they were not hitting, it, you were kind of maybe riding it off just a little bit. Uh, you know, McCann oh. strikes out the top of the eighth, and you got five outs left. You're like, okay, probably not the night. And then all of a sudden it's boom, and the next thing you know it's 5-5. Five, five. It's single, single, Graham hits a home run, and then Elko has another home run. And all of a sudden, like that's what's so potent about this offense. Not only are they good – there has to be a mental factor of them hitting you so quickly. Like, I, I can't imagine being George out there on the mound. They're up 5-1. They get the first out of the inning. And then all of a sudden, it's 5-5 before they know what the hell happened to them. Has Ole Miss ever been in a situation where they needed five outs to win a baseball game and then four batters later it was tied? Like, mm -hmm. maybe in 2009 against Virginia? I, I can't, can't think of one. I can't think of one. <laughs> Definitely a fluid. I can't think of one. Maybe a second base error thrown in? Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways. So, uh, yeah, no, this offense can get you and it can get you quick. I mean, look, this, this, what's funny is you go back and watch, and the kid after the Elko home run dominates for two innings, just dominates. I mean, just, you know, I think actually three innings. Um, but Elko gets the ball up and, and hits it to freaking Atlanta and ties the ball game up. Yeah, look, this offense, anything within, and, and I can't even this, but I was going to say anything within five to six runs, uh, this offense can do away with – I mean, hell, they've, you know, blown – they've blown open 11-run leads and a non-run lead against LSU. I mean, this – you know, this offense is insane. And, look, obviously it's a, it was probably their worst weekend of the year, but even still they went and won them a baseball game on Friday night. Uh, yeah, I mean, it happened in four batters. They were down 5-1 to one with five outs left and no one on base, and four batters later it's tied. Yep, and uh, it's, it's impressive. That's demoralizing um, so, for opponents, too. 
this uh this Tim Elko thing's real, by the way. He he's running bases okay and like it's it's essentially Tim Elko before the ACL toes. Now, yes, there are gonna be times where they have to pinch run for him, but like he ran the bases fine and you got your five hole back at this point, man. Yeah, that's a that's as good a transition. I mean, he goes he in the first two games he was two for six with two walks. He struggled on Sunday, um, or Saturday, excuse me. But the first two games of this, he's two for six with two walks, an absolutely monster home run to tie the game and really just kind of break George's back a little bit there. Yeah, you're right, and I'll put my hand up and just kind of say, I mean, I was wrong in the sense that I did pretty blatantly say. I think it's somewhat unrealistic to expect him to come back this year when the injury happened. And then when they teased the idea of it, I thought it was somewhat unrealistic to expect him to be the everyday DH. And uh, that's turned out to be the case. And that's absolutely the best case scenario you could hope for. I know Mike put in something uh, earlier, put out the little feeler or potential uh, nugget that uh, he could play a position. I, that seemed a little silly. That's not happening. Yeah, no, no that, that seemed a little silly. But I'll say it. I was wrong. This, uh, this certainly was not something I envisioned. But, uh, you know, in a, in a year of bad breaks for this team, they could use some good fortune. And it's a credit to Tim Elko to get back on the field. I don't want to oh, chalk yeah. this up to luck. I'm just simply saying this was the absolute best-case scenario. I didn't think it was necessarily realistic, and it's absolutely happening. So, good for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And good on that kid, man. It's a, it's a lot of hard work for him to be able to put himself into this situation. Um, you got your five-hole back, man. And, look, obviously you wish you could play him at first base. and. He'd be a really good defense first baseman. That way he gives you a lot, a lot of different opportunities to do, you know, things at, at DH. But and the reality is, like, you know, his bat is what got him on the field and what's going was going to keep him on the field. And at this point, like, the swing, if you watch Tim Elko, it doesn't look different. Like, it doesn't look like it's a swing with it from a guy that tore an ACL. You wouldn't know he tore his ACL until he started running. That was the um, next question I was going to throw at you. Is someone I, – I, I would defer to terms of mechanics of both swing – and uh, pitching to you, I feel like I know a little bit, but certainly not someone that has to coach the thing. Is there anything different about what he's doing at the plate? No. Running aside, because we had this conversation. Remember we did a 20-minute podcast segment thinking it was the front leg, and then all of a sudden I looked in yep. and I go, oh, hell, it was the back leg before we knew <laughs> the state of the injury. Do you remember this? Yeah. Because it was hard yeah. to tell which one on the thing. So it is his back leg, and we talked about that being a little more difficult. But do you see anything in his swing that's limiting him at all? With, no, uh, not, you know, having not at all. Film? Not at all. Um, you know, Mike was asked on, I guess, either Thursday or Friday. I think it was Friday about Tim's recovery. He says, no, there's not really any recovery. He's fine. Like, he, he comes in every day and is fine to play. He, he's one of our nine at this point. Um, so, no, I don't see anything different at all. He looks like he did before the injury. And, look, yeah, like I said, you, you wouldn't know that he tore his ACL until you watched him run. And the running is not as bad as you think. Look. It is he looks going better? The the trot around the bases on the pinch hit at A and M. It's not that. It's not that. No, no. He can look. Is he going to go first to home on a double? No. Is he going to go first to third? Yeah, yeah. He's going to go first to third if he's on first base and they hit a ball off the wall. Um, is he going to get to second base with no issues on a ball to center field? Yes. Like this, this running thing is not really a discussion. Yeah, he's going to look. Ole Miss has had a lot of slow dudes. I watched one play third base for the past three years. Uh, it, it, base running is not that important if you can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah, you're exactly right. I was actually going to be even slightly meaner. Who wins in a foot race now, uh, Tim Elko or Ben Van Cleve? No comment. 
Someone, someone posed a meaner one. If you you want to hear a meaner one, uh, who would win in a foot race, Jacob Gonzalez or Tim Oakley? Oh gosh! Someone said, and I love Jacob Gonzalez, but my man can't run. Someone said, "Will this be the first time in the, in the history of uh, Mike Bianco that he bench runs for a shortstop at some point this year?" Yeah, that is that is very true. I, I didn't like, but that. Jacob Gonzalez is a stud and a freak. But my man's uh, my man's sixty yard dash not great. Yeah, uh, steroids. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I, this is real. Like, I, is there any reason anymore to kind of toy with the DH in your mind? No, 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 no. He's your DH every day. He's your five hole. Which solves a lot of frustration, right? And probably helps you a little bit uh, uh, with the bench because well, you know, if you can have him, if you can have him DH, and I know you're gonna have, there's gonna be times if he gets on base, you might need to pinch run for him. So it's not your perfect DH, sure. guaranteed it four times per game, but like at least Mike knows he has a left-handed option off the bench in uh, in Ben Van Cleve, and he knows exactly what and how he needs to use the group of you know Harris and Alderman and whoever else. It may be like that seems to to kind of make things on the bench a little more concrete. The only thing I would like Mike to do is get him out of the five hole and move uh, Jacob Gonzalez back to two, and then go. I guess you'd hit him three. I would I would like them to go McCants Gonzalez Elko Graham and then go from there. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. But what a development! What a huge home run! Ole Miss ties this game, and then the other story of this. Uh, I feel like we glossed over Jackson Kimbrell a little bit. I know it was a little bit of a rocky start. He inherits his base runners. But, look, anytime someone comes out of this bullpen in a meaningful game and is not a disaster, it is worth talking about. And he was yeah. okay. And it was – that's two in a row now. That, that, that is he two was, in a row. That's a thing. Any chance he starts on Tuesday? You know, he was the midweek guy last year. He was. You know, in college we had this deal for uh, Greek uh, events. Uh, if you brought the same days twice, it was called the two-function assumption. Uh, I think we're having a uh, two-outing assumption here with uh, Mr. Kimbrell. I think Jackson Kimbrell is going to be one of their better bullpen options going forward. I just – and, look, I don't, I don't have any insight here. I just – look, he was their midweek starter last year, and I just get the sense that Mike doesn't want to start Doug on Tuesday. And if you don't start Doug on Tuesday, like, you're not starting Josh Mallets unless you want me to go to jail. Um, so, isn't Kimbrell the next realistic option as a guy that has started before? Yeah, I wouldn't hate that at all. Um, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. It at does all. limit your left-handed options in the pen, but like, who cares? It'll be okay. I mean, they went two months without having a single one. Will Frizzell didn't make the tournament. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Like that. So he was good. I mean, he ends up. I say. I mean, I say. I had a rocky start. He did walk two guys, but he gives up a run on a hit over two innings. Like, and inherited some base runners, if I'm not mistaken. So, he was fine. And then after that was the real storyline. After Ole Miss ties the game, they go to – did Brandon Johnson come in – what did he – last out of the seventh? Yeah, yeah. He got him out of a a situation where there was guys on base, I believe. I think it was last out of the eighth, maybe. Okay, so, yeah, he gets him – he comes in the last out of the eighth inning. Yeah, he comes in, he relieves Kimbrell because Kimbrell had gone ground out, walk, HBP – he gets Jernigan looking and then a ground out and was just awesome for two and a third innings and just kept Ole Miss. You know, he was the bridge guy to Broadway. Like, I, we, before we started recording, I said, that's what competent bullpens do. That's what good teams do. He kept them afloat, gave them opportunities to take a lead, and when they finally took a lead, they turned it over to Taylor Broadway. That was a hugely pivotal moment, I thought, in this team's season, seeing uh, Brandon Johnson do that with the stakes on the line against an SEC club in a, in a high-leverage situation. Have, have you gone back? I know you were at the game. Have you gone back and watched 
Nope. I probably will at some point today. There's a lot have of sports. You seen, have have you seen my man on the mound? No. What's uh, What am uh, I missing? Uh, he made pitching ninja, and it wasn't for his pitching. Okay. My dude's, in, my dude's insane. Like, like, is running off the mound, like, yelling at people, yelling at everyone. It was the most glorious thing I have ever seen. I did like, see the highlights. So, I, I watched a couple. You know, he gets out of the jam, and they post the clip, and he's excited about that. And I just thought, okay, whatever. The guy's real pumped up. This is a big moment. No, no, no. You're saying this is going on between pitches and between Oh, this that. is this is like an every other pitch thing. And you got to remember, it, it, this was a long time ago. You need to remember this. He came in against Texas and in, uh, in that game in Arlington. And they hit a pop-up to, like, deep shortstop. And my man left the mound and was fully prepared to go catch that ball. Um, like, this kid's awesome. And, yeah, he uh, – I think, like, Pitching Ninja, like, tweeted, like, Brandon Johnson is is a lunatic and I love him. Um, and our buddy Dylan tweeted out, he was like, I, I mean this respectfully, but Brandon Johnson's even more insane than Wes Burton. And, like, it's, it's not even close. Uh, he's awesome. He throws a 96-mile-an-hour fastball with a hammer. Uh, it it kind of infuriates me that it took the last weekend of SEC play to get him into a meaningful SEC game or a meaningful situation in an SEC game. Um, but, yeah, this kid's a stud. <laughs> like, I mean, throws 96, man. Uh, he, he absolutely feasted on Georgia. And I don't really see, uh, just from some his track man – numbers and whatever, I don't really see why this can't continue. This kid's a stud, and Ole Miss has something here. Yeah, they do. And, and, and I want to say one more thing real quick. He maintained that velocity the entire outing. So I wonder if at some point in his career he moves out of the bullpen. Yeah, I don't – I mean, that, that's an interesting topic. Not this year. Not this year. No, but, of course not. I, but I know what you mean because they do have to field a pitching staff in 2022, as we talked about. And we hit the uh, – we, we covered it in the past a lot, but particularly after his outing in the midweek uh, on the preview show. Like, why does it take like, – like, why, with the amount of bullpen issues you had, do you not just try the guy that throws 96 <laughs> before the season's penultimate series against Vanderbilt? Like, why not just try it? But he's there now. Like, we don't have to rehash that, I guess. And so, going into this postseason, with Brandon Johnson being good, you're discovering something in Jack Doherty. Jackson Kimbrell, you think, is kind of on the up and up and being okay. This bullpen's actually in an okay place. This is the, like, They didn't lose any of these games because of their bullpen this week. I know they only lost one. But, like, they didn't lose the last two weeks because of their bullpen. They lost because the starting pitching sucked. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I mean, they were never really going to win. Like, though, you look back at the two games they lost the past two weeks, led to Leiter and then to Cannon, they were never going to win those games anyways. I mean, no, offense- you're right, but they didn't. You know, like neither neither Diamond nor McDaniel and either one of those starts kind of matched him for five. Like Leiter or the kid, the sure. the Cannon kid for Georgia matched him to five, and then the bullpen just wilts. Like that didn't happen. The bullpen no. was actually good in those two. Yeah, um, I say good. I mean, Vanderbilt scored so, thirteen runs, but you found something late in Johnson. Is my point right? I don't think I've I've said this well, or or you know, uh, got it across enough. You don't have to have a deep bullpen to have a good bullpen like you don't need but like four or five dudes that can consistently get out so you're gonna be okay and you can be point, good with three or four you just can't have one at this point you got taylor broadway you got jack doherty you got brandon johnson do you like if omis has a lead late in the game do you trust those three guys to get out yes i'm, I'm asking do you, do you trust those guys yes i think i'm getting to where i ch- trust jackson kimball so that's four. You don't need much else. 
You really don't. You say, and you didn't mention Tyler Myers. Yeah, you're, I didn't do that for a reason. Um, no, I know, I, I know, I know. But he's a guy that's I, – I knew what you were getting at. I, he hasn't – you know, it hasn't been great with him. But he's a guy that's going to pitch and has not been a – like, he's not in the – he's not in the Austin Miller stratosphere yet of why is this guy no. still being run out there. Did you see what Mike said about Miller after the game yesterday? I did not. Please enlighten me. Suss asked. He said, hey, this is a couple rough outings in a row for Austin Miller. Mike said, yeah, that's a head scratcher. I don't really get it. Like, I don't understand why it's happening. I'm like, because he throws 86. That's why. Throws 86 and the curveball's not breaking. I figured it out for you, Mike. If you need me, you need me on staff. You know, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding, obviously. But, you know, how, how can you not understand why he's not getting outs? And, and the, the, it just doesn't look great either. Like, it is not appeasing to watch. It's kind of like it almost looks like he's shoveling – like shoving a bowling ball trying to get it across the plate. Like, the, look, I know there's 86-88, 86-88, whatever. But, like, there's different forms of it as well, just like there's different forms of 92-94. Like, it, it looks like he's straining everything he can just to muster that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. No, it does. Um, I – I don't know how you can go back to him in a big situation this year. Of course, I thought that after Vanderbilt against UT Martin, too. Um, but it's just kind of to the point where this this has to be put on the shelf at this point, right? Yeah, unless you just see – like, you give him one more shot in Hoover in a situation that doesn't really matter. But that almost might just tease him too much. I don't know if you even would want that to happen at this point. But I just don't see there's any way that you could run him out there in a situation of consequence. I texted that to a buddy of mine who was asking about it yesterday. Look, I mean, what, what were we at? Like, what were we kind of – what was kind of the storyline when he was getting out, particularly in 19 towards the end of the year? It was, I don't know how this is working, but it's working. That's usually not a good sign uh, for when it goes bad either. Like, when it's good and you don't know why it's good, that's probably not a great thing. Looks like that was a scouting report thing, and now everybody's just kind of sitting on curveball, and they know eventually he'll hang one and they crush it. It kind of feels like what it is there. That's exactly what happened in the game on Sunday. I mean, Ole Miss was not like you mentioned. That, look, it was always going to be tough sledding with Cannon and then particularly with McDaniel not having it. But I'll just go to it right now. There's a batter in particular. You saying that really made me think about it. It was the fourth inning to where Austin Miller comes in. Okay, single, single, whatever. Foul out. Fielder's choice. The Blaylock home run was just an absolute meat pitch. And it's the first pitch. He gets the fielder's choice for everything. Okay, you get this to 5-2 with this offense, maybe. And then the first pitch, I mean, that was – as soon as he left his hand, it was like, oh, God, I just hope he misses. And he didn't miss. No. No, he hit that into the end of the trees. Um, yeah, just just another tough outing from him. And I, I just – when you have the emergence of, of Johnston and, you know, Doherty's been really good and you have the – you know, what you think in Kimbrough, I just – there's too many options at this point point to you know kind of screw around with Austin Miller I I look obviously Doherty didn't have a great day yesterday I really kind of thought it was silly not going to him right there yeah exactly because he, he hadn't pitched in a while and you needed to get him innings anyway and I had a couple of people texting me why he was still in when the game being that way it's like the kid's got to pitch the kid hadn't pitched in like two weeks or something well like that. my argument was bringing him in was stupid because I would have started him on Tuesday but whatever Okay, okay, that's fair. I hadn't thought about that. But, like, if you are going to use him, like, one, go to him straight on from McDaniel to just at least give yourself a chance instead of Miller. Uh, and at that point, because, you know, at 8-2, like, okay, it's not actually over, but it, it certainly was going to be tough sledding given what you had left in the bull. Sure. And he just had a tough day. I don't make a ton of that. But uh, kind of going back before we get to the McDaniel part of it, 
Uh, just TJ McCants, another massive hit to put the Ole Miss up, and they, you know, then you get the two-run single by Graham. Uh, just another, another, another like version of this offense just being completely relentless and kind of demoralizing opponents. Like I thought there might have been a world. I know Georgia still had a lot on the line where they just come out off in the finale because of what the offense had done to them the night before. But just wanted to point that out. Another massive hit by TJ McCants. The kid is unreal. I have some numbers I'll throw at you later. But uh, before we get to the McDaniel thing and other pieces of the Sunday game, we mentioned, so what's the postseason bullpen in terms of guys you use? It is Broadway, Johnson, Doherty. Kimbrell. Kimbrell. I'll throw Myers in there just because I think at some point you're going to need something from him. Okay. Is there a, I'm asking this. I'm not asking this pointedly because I, I think Eileen no. Is there another candidate to where they pitch well in Hoover and you add him to the list? Because if you do find someone, like you're, you're kind of talking about an entirely different outlook on what you think the bullpen was versus what it, it, what you think it is in the postseason versus what it at times this year. I'm just not sure that candidate exists. I mean, you're getting into Cole Baker, Lion yeah. territory, Cody Adcock. I just don't see it. Maybe Wes Burton? That's, that's the one I was going to say. But, I mean, if Wes Burton hasn't shown you enough to trust him yet, then what can he possibly show you in Hoover is trusting? Right. Like, like, you either look at Wes Burton and think he's good enough to get out, or he does, or he doesn't. He, he is what he is at this point. Um, you know, I think he's good enough to get out. Mike doesn't. Mike's paid a lot of money to make those decisions, and I run a podcast or talk on a podcast. Um, you know, so – no, I don't think there's another option, which that leads into the Drew McDaniel experience. What do you do with him? Because if you're going to pull him off of Sunday, well, now one of those relievers has to go into his role. Right. And so that's why I am arguing. So you mentioned that this, that was a great segue into it. You mentioned that kind of needing to be the end of it. Um, I think you just live with it. I'll push back and disagree because particularly with the troubles Mike's had managing this year, it seems like he's got four set guys in the bullpen. McDaniel's okay, and you just kind of live with it. I know he sucked against Vanderbilt, like, but he didn't completely let them out of the game. Like, I, mean, I don't know, he ends up getting tagged for the six runs, but it wasn't a complete and total bluff. You know, they, he held it together against A&M, was okay against South Carolina that helped him come back late. He didn't have it, you could tell, from the walk standpoint. What, he walked five dudes – no, three dudes, excuse me, against Georgia. But, uh, like – I think that was something something to the effect that that was the first time he'd walked back-to-back hitters this year. The, the broadcast had some sort of stat. Maybe I have that wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. On point being, I don't think he had it against Georgia, but, like, when's the last time he hasn't had it at all? You know, that happens sometimes. Sure. Um, I don't know. I just and, – and maybe, you know, maybe it's a situation where, you know, he goes over in Hoover and throws some fly balls and, and gets some confidence. It just – man, it – like – I keep saying that, hey, if this team can go 2-0, and they can bash their way through a, through a regional. But if Drew's that bad on, in a game three, I'm not totally sure they can. Like, if he's giving up seven runs in four innings, like, yeah, this team's good enough to overcome that. But at some point, like, you got to have somebody that can get it out um, and not have a 12 ERA. I mean, he's got a nine ERA in SEC play, man. Um I don't know. It's it's you're right. The bullpen is kind of set at this point, and it's really kind of hard to shake it up. But hey, it's uh it's not good on Sundays and and or on Saturday, game threes, whatever you want to call it. And that's starting to become a problem for Ole Miss. I mean, outside of a really special offensive performance against Vanderbilt, and they scored ten runs, man. Seven of them were against McDaniel. It's and look, some of that wasn't his fault. He sat for a long time, but 
it's just it's not been a great look when you consider everything in total. I mean, he was fine against A&M. He's really bad against LSU. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's just not been good lately on on third games for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I guess I'm I'm almost like almost like willfully choosing to see the good side of it because even in that bad start, like to me, what he offers you, and he has to be better. Than, I'll perfectly concede that that version of him against Georgia is not good enough for Ole Miss to go three and zero through a regional, like or feel good about doing so. I completely agree with you there. I, I just I just see what he did against Alabama and Auburn. And I know those offenses aren't any good. I see him be competent against Texas A&M and against South Carolina. Like, that version of him will definitely give you a chance. He had some huge bullpen moments before he was a starter this year. Like, I just think there's enough there that I think you keep it the same for now. But I, I think I think he does have to be better. But, like, there's – he didn't have it against Georgia, and it was bad. But you did get to the second inning, and things looked like it was about to be, like, 9-1 before Ole Miss passed to the third. Like, he gives up the two runs. He did go strikeout, strikeout to keep them in that game. Because uh, the rest of their day is entirely different, or at least you thought at the time, if he's not able to do that. I guess that was actually the bottom of the first, wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll make you laugh real quick. I have a friend that uh, that's on an SEC coaching staff, and, and we'll get back to this in just a second. He he sent me a text message about Ole Miss's game, and he said, huh, I'm looking at box scores around the league, and it appears that Ole Miss has decided that the guy that throws 86 is better than the guy that throws 89. I just kind of thought that was funny. That is true. <laughs> He's got, he's got a point. I just, I just thought that was funny, but I saw that. Uh, but yeah, no, look, Drew, Drew was, uh, he was, and that was what was concerning to me more than hey, he got hit a little bit. It was like this guy never walks people. Now he's walking three in the first inning. He's like he's his head, his mechanics off. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I look, this team. We'll get to Hoover in a second. Um, this team has to do a lot at Hoover if they want to talk about anything other than hosting a, a regional. Um, and, and saying that Ole Miss, if they're going to do a lot, will need Drew McDaniel in some form or fashion. I'm just interested in what that form or fashion is going to be. Yeah, I do too. I still think he starts their third game. I just think Mike's seen enough from him, and I don't like. I think, well, I think there's some PTSD. Third, of, third uh, game in Hoover or third game in regional? Oh, sorry, I'm thinking third game regional. Third game Hoover. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I get I get where you're going there, but. So, yeah, I just I, – I think you leave it the same, but he certainly has to be better than he has been the last two weeks. I don't think there's any uh, – I don't think there's any any disagreement there. That's pretty unified. But you got to remember, he still is a young guy. And, like, you know, sure. Diamond's had these stretches or whatever. Like, you know, people go through stuff. You just – for Ole Miss's sake, you hope he's right by the time they play in the postseason. Yeah, yeah. Look, no, I mean, this isn't a situation either with him or Diamond where he – and and – Look, I love statistics, and I guess you can call them analytics or whatever as much as anyone, but, like, there's no world – or there is a world where Drew McDaniel has a non-ERA and SEC play, and then you look up in a Super Regional in a game three, and he's thrown six innings and given up two runs. And, yeah, while his ERA still sucks, like, the kid's good enough to do that, and the statistics doesn't really matter. Um, you know, there are guys on this team that aren't good enough to do that, aren't good enough to give you a chance, don't have the stuff to give you a chance. He, he obviously is not one of those people. And the outing that never gets talked about, which is probably That's like when you horrible. talk about this, this stat, stats not mattering and him, you look up and he's doing well in game three of a super or something. The outing that no one talks about because the way it ended was he was magnificent on Sunday in Starkville and it got really he was. he was. He absolutely was. He went 5.2, 5.1 and gave up two. Um, no, the, the, he has the ability to do it. It's just at some point it's got to get done. Yep. 
And there's no better time to start than in Hoover and heading into the postseason because that's when it matters the most. So, whatever. Not a whole lot else to talk about the rest of the day. Ole Miss just didn't really have it. Georgia gets the game they needed to probably secure an NCAA tournament bid. Um, so, you head to Hoover. Ole Miss is the five seed and will play Auburn, and they will play Vanderbilt should they win. We'll just start it here. Who, does Ole, who, who do you pitch and who do you think Ole Miss pitches? I don't know if that answer is the same. Oh, no, it's not the same. I, I, I'll say this. I don't think they start and, – and I want your opinion on this. I don't think it's Doug because I think if it was Doug, he would have said that on, on Saturday. You, do you kind of buy into that? I buy into that completely, yes. <sighs> I think it's Jackson Kimbrell. I don't know that. I don't have any insight. But, like, all right, let's go through the options here. All right, we're, we're eliminating Doug because both of us kind of don't think it's Doug. Although recent history and what he usually does on Tuesdays tells you it's Doug. I think if it was Doug, he would have committed to that. All right, let's go through the options. It's not Diamond. I guess it could be Diamond. I guess, but that's three days rest. Um, I don't I don't see it. Um, it's not McDaniel. It's not Mallet. The only other people on this roster who have started a game are Cody Adcock, who it's not going to be. Um, Jack Doherty, who threw 50 pitches yesterday, and I don't think it's him. It's either Kimbrell or, or Myers. Or, My- or Myers. And I don't think it's Myers. So it's either Kimbrell or Myers, isn't it? That was the other one I was going to bring up when you started and to talk about it would be Kimbrell. Myers is the other one because there, there was at least one time this year, maybe two, where Myers started a midweek game when they bullpened it. And I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Sure. But Mike did choose him as the starter to go however many, however long, like he thought he could go or should go or whatever. Like, so he has started. I'm about to look it up right here. This is great podcasting. Tyler Myers has two starts this year. I thought it was two. So, like you said, the only other ones that starts Cody Adcock, not happening. Jack Doherty threw 50 pitches, not happening. And Josh Mallett somehow has six starts. Uh, you would hope that's not it. Uh, so I would probably agree with you and say it's Kimbrel. Myers would be the second logical option. But let's be honest here. It's not totally out of their own possibility to Mike, Mike to go back to the old uh, Josh Mallett cigarette and fire that one up again. Oh, God. It's not. It's not. Um, I would hope that he would see what Auburn did to Josh Mallett's when he pitched against them and, and realized that it was it was not a good situation. Um, I don't know. Okay, I don't so know the what The counter they're... to that is what – okay, we can kind of morph that into that now that we both answered. The counter to that is, does anything they do this week matter? Yes. Yeah. Um, now, it takes, it takes a good bit. Even Kendall Rogers, who I don't think is particularly given Ole Miss a fair shake this year, said that, you know, a good run in Hoover could get them into top eight uh, contention this morning in, in one of his articles. That's, um, that's, and you're talking – but that's – you're talking probably a Saturday stay. You got to be there yes, Saturday. You would, need to get to, you would need to get to Saturday. Chase, but now, Chase brought it up. So, just before you finish your thought on that, Chase brought it up that he thinks in this year's age – because when you guys – when I said I was just dismayed that they might leave a 19-11 and 11 team if Ole Miss had one Sunday out of the national seed. And I was like, what am I missing here? So I went and kind of did some actual, like, bubble research. And y'all are right. I thought Chase had an interesting way of framing it as 21 total SEC wins. So if you count on your fingers three in Hoover, that's Friday-ish? Uh, well, so, so here's how it works. You, you have to win on Tuesday, and that's 19, correct? 18 plus one is 19. That's Saturday if you win three in a row. You get the buy is what you're getting at. Uh, no, no, no. Here's what I'm saying is yeah, you have to get to Saturday to get three wins, however it comes. So if you went on Tuesday, you went on Wednesday, you lose on Thursday, then you went on Friday, well, you're there on Saturday. Or you could go 
win Tuesday, win Wednesday, win Thursday. That's three wins. You're there on Saturday. Right, um, right. So you have to be playing baseball on Saturday, in my opinion, to be a national seed. Now, in, in saying that, I think if Ole Miss gets to Saturday, they will be one. And if so, let's just play this out. Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt with, excuse me, beats Auburn with whomever they start. Is it Doug against Vandy? It is, and here's here's a note against Vandy, and, and maybe it's probably you not think, Rocker on the other. It's side. not Rocker on Wednesday. It's not. I don't think because I went and looked. 2014, 2015, 2019, 2016, he did not bring his guys back on Wednesday on a day short of rest for the second time in a row. Evidence says he's not going to do it with Rocker. And um, not that it needs to be said. When we say it's not Rocker, it's clearly not lighter, too, which is yes, no, not that no, that no, even I'm, needs to be said. But, yeah, so it's not so, either one of them. And so we're talking about a midweek guy against Doug? That's probably a win for the Rebels, wouldn't you think? Yes. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, are you kidding? Absolutely. I mean, Vanderbilt, look, that, that's a whole other offense. Uh, they're really good. But, yes, I, I would say presumably so. So, all of a sudden, like you mentioned, that's two. You've got two games to win one. See, now you've come completely, like, I guess, con- like changed my thinking and my thought process was – because I actually think you tweeted this after Ole Miss immediately lost yesterday. I was like – yeah, they kind of are where they are. Like, it doesn't – like, I don't know how much in Hoover matters. Sounds like you've kind of evolved on that, and then you just convinced me. Yeah, I, I, I said it was kind of meaningless, but just sitting here looking at it, are, are we really going to leave out an 18-win STC team that wins three in Hoover that has a top eight RPI and has, you know, 15 wins against the top 25? I kind of don't see it. Um, and how, how many times in the last, you know, 10 years has Mike gone to Hoover and helped his cause? I think he's going to help it this year if he can win on Tuesday. I, uh, so, yeah, I think that's interesting. So that'll add some intrigue. To so, it. but here, here's what's reality. Here, all right. So let's let's play this out though, right? Um, let's let's play this out. They went on Tuesday. Okay, beat Auburn. They don't throw Dunn to Casey. Rebels win. All right. Well, then let's say they hold Rocker. Vanderbilt holds Rocker, and they they beat they beat you know Vanderbilt's midweek guy. Okay. Well, now here's here's the reality. Derek Diamond has to pitch against Arkansas, right? Because, you know, Arkansas is going to uh, probably beat either Georgia or Alabama, okay? You got to win that game. Well, you don't win that game. Vanderbilt's going to pitch Rocker in the loser's bracket game. So, guess what's waiting for you on Friday if you don't beat Arkansas? That'd be Jack Leiter again. So, you (laughs) – so, it's tough. It's tough. Derek Diamond's going to have to beat Arkansas in this played-out hypothetical. But it's a shot, and, and I mean, look, now some of this is Ole Miss is doing. I mean, you, you're talking about a team that's 18 and 12 when everybody else is 20 and 10 that's ahead of them because, you know, you made two boneheaded decisions from a coaching standpoint. Um, so it's on you to make it up if you want to be a national seed, but I do think the opportunity is there. I mean, you're talking about Vanderbilt and Arkansas, who are two of the top four RPI teams in the country on your side of the bracket. If you can make it happen, you got a shot. Making it happen is going to be tough. Yep, I think that's a good way to put it. And so it kind of all starts on Tuesday, seeing who they start um, and kind of where they go from there. Hey, hey, we need to say this, too. Uh, Ole Miss loses on Tuesday. They will still host a regional. Please don't want to freak out about that. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. So that's, what, that's what's kind of interesting. So we, I guess our evolved take on it is not meaningless, but if you lose on Tuesday and Uber and you go home, it's not the worst thing in the let's, world. Let's, say like, let's put it like this. You are, you're taking an English lit class. 
and you got your final exam, you got to be locked up even if you make a zero. But if you make a 98, you might get an A. Right. So you just go for it. Yeah. yeah. It's just house money. It, it, there's no determination like you mentioned on the, like the report card or whatever for Ole Miss. It's like you lose. Okay, you didn't hurt yourself at all. They can, no. they can only help themselves this week. Absolutely. I mean, Auburn's not a bad – like, look, I know Auburn's 10 and 20. It's not a bad RPI loss. It's fine, especially on a neutral side. So, uh, no, you, you can't hurt yourself this week. I mean, especially when you look at the back end of the bubble. I mean, let's talk about this for a second. They named out 20 teams. Uh, Pittsburgh's not even going to make the freaking tournament, okay? So, now we got 19 teams. Well, Louisiana Tech lost two times this weekend to Old Dominion. They're not hosting. Uh, Southern Miss didn't play. They're not hosting. Southern South Carolina lost the series. Ole Miss is in, just locked into being ahead of Carolina. So, literally, they, there's zero chance they don't host a regional. None. And they probably would have been fine with 17, like we mentioned on Thursday. Yes. It felt like they with lost how things team. broke this weekend, they'd have been 100% fine. Yeah, but in the moment, you know, you, you felt like you needed the 18th just to remove any doubt. It, like you mentioned, it's not even a conversation yet. <laughs> Here we are cautioning people not to even have the conversation. Because they're going to freak out. They, if Ole Miss loses to UCP, well, are we going to host? Yes. Yes, we're going to host. Yes. Yeah, so they're locked on that. They can only help themselves in Hoover. Uh, I, you know, I'm kind of – I'm glad that they – you know, at the beginning of the year, I was kind of like, this is a bummer. Like, Hoover's gonna, not going to have much emphasis. But, you know, as it always like, – you can't kill Hoover is what I'm saying. It's going to have intrigue, and it's going to be fun. Um, can, I, can I say something about Hoover real quick? I, I, yeah, no, no, go ahead, because I wanted to do a second on this as well. So, by all means. There is, there is this narrative – that, like, Auburn, for example, is not going to come into Hoover and care. Like, if Auburn didn't want to make the SEC tournament, all they had to do was lose two games to Missouri. There's just this narrative that bothers me that people go to Hoover and don't play hard. Now, yes, some coaches don't pitch their best guys and get them rest, but I can – look, I've been over there a lot. Those dudes on the field want to win and want to win badly. And it, it bothers me that I have to continually hear about people packing Hoover in and, you know, throwing white flags up and stuff. I, I have never been to Hoover and seen a team take the field that does not desperately want to win a baseball game. It's a nice narrative because it is a lot of games and a lot of days right before you enter your most important games of the season. But you're exactly right. Like, it's normally the good teams when you have that wave the white flag narrative. And, like, all that means is, like you mentioned, not necessarily pitching your good guys unless you get to the weekend you kind of need to. And then they're just making a red, another regularly scheduled start. Like, the idea that they don't try and they just kind of, you know, like you mentioned, roll the balls out there, play for four, play for nine innings, and go home. That doesn't really ha- – I mean, it, it can, can you admit that it has happened before? Sure. But the, the frequency of what that narrative is, is used in terms to describe how teams will approach Hoover versus the amount of times a team has actually done that – is a drastic misconception because it's very rare that any team actually does what you're talking about. Arkansas, I'll say this, Arkansas is going to be the number one national seed. They've locked that up. Arkansas on Thursday will throw Patrick Wickland. Game two, they're going to throw their two guy in Caleb Bolden. In game three, they're going to throw their three guy against Jackson Wiggett. They'll throw off on Wednesday not to bring somebody back short of rest. That doesn't mean they're not going to uh, try. I, I just that, – that narrative is going to get out there this week, and it's really going to bug me that teams go to Hoover and, and don't try. Like, has anyone ever seen these kids? They're, like, ridiculously competitive. Like, you telling me Doug McKay on a 10-20 and 20 Ole Miss team is not going to go fight his guts out? Come on, man. Like, that, that – I don't know. I've just heard that enough over the past two days that uh, teams are going to go roll over in Hoover. It's like, what are, what are we talking about? Frankly – there are zero teams, literally none, 
that have nothing to play for in Hoover. I mean, Auburn has to win it to get in. Yes. Kentucky, Georgia, Alabama, um, LSU. those three, LSU, Kentucky, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, they're playing for their lives. They can make the tournament if they play well. South Carolina, they got they got to play well to host. Same with Florida. Now, the top four teams, I could argue, don't have anything to play for. But if I'm them, I don't go 0-2 either. Um, if I'm State and I'm Tennessee and, and my RPI is lower than Vanderbilt and Arkansas, I don't go 0-2. Um, you know, so th- there's really nobody over there that has zero to play for. Yep, I think that's exactly way to put it. I'm glad you hit the on-field part. I was just going to hit the uh, off-the-field part of it for a second. And I know we've kind of put this narrative to bed and it's not really one anymore. But just the idea that it's time for Hoover again, I'm not going, kind of sucks. Like, I, I like Hoover. It's, it's, I love it, Hoover. I, it grew on me quickly. The first time I went, uh, like, in a working capacity, I was like, eh, okay. Is that when we went in 16 and got in the Uber with the guy that didn't like Tunzel? That was my second time. That, I okay. went in 15 the first year covering okay. baseball. But, yes, that was one of the early ones. It's grown on me a bunch. You know, you had that narrative when the contract or whatever was up, if they were going to move it to, like, Memphis or Nashville. The people perpetuating that narrative about, like, Hoover and it, like, not being great place that could go somewhere better have likely never been to Hoover. That ballpark is absolutely tailor-made for that event. It is in yes. the – it's not in the middle of nowhere, literally, like, geographically. It is surrounded by just miles of parking and no other buildings around where they can have – And Hoover High School. Yeah, in Hoover High School. And that's really the only thing that thing is used for now other than some football games, from my understanding. It's tailor-made for that event. There's plenty of space. There's incredible amounts of parking. They have, like, the system of getting you in and out of there. The entire experience is run like a well-oiled machine. Hoover's awesome. And that place is a perfect fit for it. And so you try to tell me how they do the SEC tournament at AutoZone Park in downtown Memphis. How do you go park? Yeah, exactly. How are you going to fit the press box up there is two levels. Like, you can sit anywhere you want. Like, how are you going to fit all that media in a typical AAA press box? That is the perfect place. It should never move. It's not ever going to move. And I enjoy it, and I hate I'm not going. That, yeah. that rant uh, was uh, stemmed from, one, uh, Danny, <laughs> Mr. Broadway wanting to, one, wish you happy birthday, two, ask if I was going to Hoover. And I was like, I guess I just assumed he hadn't been before, which is stupid because his kid's a senior. But I was just telling him to go, like, wander through the RV park and enjoy that part of it, too, because that's awesome. He, uh, he told me he had not been when I, when I met him. Uh, okay, good. Maybe he told me that. I was just looking back at our text message, and I was like, shit, I probably sounded like a know-it-all there. I'm sure he made it before. <laughs> no. Um, I, I'm going over there if Ole Miss wins on Tuesday night. I am thankful that um, Ole Miss, you know, if Vanderbilt had beaten Kentucky, you know, they would have played State on Wednesday night. I am thankful that did not come to fruition because I, I, I don't need a pack tuber. But here's reality, too, though. Think about this. Think about the uh, the crowds for this. Arkansas, LSU, and Ole Miss are all on the same side of the bracket if LSU and Ole Miss win on Tuesday. Think about those crowds. Yeah, that's uh, and that's going to be. And then you got big. Vanderbilt, who's got Rocker and Light. Yeah, they just need to keep that one Vandy guy out of there. God, that guy's miserable. But the other side is like Mississippi State, Florida, Kentucky. Tennessee, who's Mississippi State will bring fans, but State plays at 9.30 in the morning. So, how many fans are you going to bring to a 9.30 game? Uh, so, th- the morning session is going to be kind of dead. Let's just play it out. This will be our good look uh, around the SEC. Arkansas wraps up the league title um, by taking two. Uh, no, sweeping. Yeah, excuse me, sweeping Florida. They won every series this year. That's, that's pretty damn impressive. They won every series and only swept two. Kind of weird. It is kind of weird. And, like, they had a couple close calls. I mean, hell, they almost lost the old Miss series. But, man, 
you can make it through a 10-game or 10-weekend SEC slate and say you won every series. You're probably pretty good. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Let's play it out. South Carolina does not help their chances. Tennessee locks up the East with a little help from Kentucky. So remind me of that scenario because I think I have it right, but it sounds like you watched the game. So So going into the day, Vanderbilt was 19-9. and Uh, South or Tennessee was 20. No, excuse me. Vanderbilt was 19 and nine. Tennessee was 19 and 10. Tennessee at 11 a.m. beats South Carolina to get to 20 and 10, which puts them, um, uh, which puts them a game, a half game over Vanderbilt. So because Vanderbilt and, had and, a Sunday cancellation against right. So so. Going into the Vanderbilt game yesterday, let's put it like this. Tennessee was 20 and 10, correct? Yes. So Vanderbilt was 19 and 9. So 20 and 9 beats 20 and 10. So Vanderbilt wins, they win the East. But 19 and 10 does not beat 20 and 10. So Vanderbilt is up, I think, five to four in the last thing. I don't know. Um, One strike way. Maldonado throws a strike. Hilarious. Throws a strike. Umpire doesn't call it. Kentucky rips a double on the next pitch to take the lead and then winds up winning the game, giving Tennessee the Eastern Division title. And saves any opportunity Kentucky has at the SCA making the NCAA tournament. Yes. 12 and 18 is going to be tough, but a couple of wins they probably get in. Yeah, I mean, well, you think about it. They're playing a top 25 team in Florida. If they win, they're playing a top 10 team in state. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if Kentucky wins two to three, I mean, I think they're pretty comfortably in. Now, doing that's going to be hard. Uh, no, a team that did not help themselves this weekend was the Alabama Crimson Tide. On the flip New. side, credit to State because, you know, they were down as we were doing that Thursday show. They were down one to nothing uh, late in that game after losing a terrible series to Missouri. Credit to them to kind of, you know, you know, picking themselves up by their bootstraps and, and, and getting that sweep and securing themselves, you know, everything they wanted playing baseball at home because that could have gotten weird had they lose that game and go in the rest of the weekend. The flip side of that, uh, Alabama 12 and 17, man, if you just take one, they'd have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. 13 and 16 is a whole different ballgame. So now you're, you're going to Hoover with a ton of work you got to do. It feels like Alabama or, or excuse me, Georgia and LSU certainly have the upper hand. Uh, we're talking about, you know, um, what, what teams need to do in Hoover this weekend. Yeah. No kidding, man. Like, I, like the, the idea, if I, I, I can't go find the standings from five weeks ago because the SEC website doesn't look that way. But that weekend that Alabama got to 12 and 11 or 11 and 12 or whatever it is, where LSU was in the standings and to have LSU be the fourth place team over Alabama in the West is kind of wild. Like Alabama, yeah, I mean, I, Alabama went one and five down the stretch. Um, that's where not great. Four, no, we're two and four probably get you in. I know that's a that's a bummer. Um, Auburn gets into Hoover. They got to win it. Whatever. I'll, I'll I'll say this: uh, there was a time where Auburn was one and fourteen. Good on that coaching staff for, for not letting them quit because that, that couldn't have been easy. That is that, – yeah, that's a great point. Like you mentioned, so 1-14, that puts them at 9-6 and six down the last, uh, the second half of the season. Playing well. Almost better half. show up. Yes, absolutely. That team hasn't quit, and I don't know why. And 1-14, <laughs> would you have quit? Uh, it's because their coach is really good. Like, I know Butch at the end of the year is 10-20 and 20 this year, and that's his responsibility. But Butch Thompson's one hell of a baseball coach. No, uh, no arguments there. Texas A&M is not going to Hoover, and neither is they Missouri. They fired their coach today. I was about to say that uh, as of this recording, it looks like the news has just gotten out that they uh, they fired Rob Childress. We have a question we'll get to at the very end about that, so we'll hold that. 
LSU did what this weekend? I'm losing it. They won two of three in uh, College Station. And got themselves – yeah, okay, that's, uh, that's why I looked at I got off A&M's page, and I was like, where the hell did LSU go? Yeah, so – and they got them that got them in the NCAA tournament. Probably, yeah. Probably, they, they yeah, probably, need, team, probably. Yeah, they need to win one in Hoover. One in Hoover probably gets it done. Uh, I don't think there will be any sort of late May surge from the Tigers this year. I still don't buy it, but credit to them for pulling themselves up after out of a pretty pretty crappy uh, situation. And getting the uh, the guy that complete game Ole Miss has been pulled out of the rotation. Really? That's, that's that's yeah. That's how bad they've been on Saturday now. That was a that was a, that probably the low point. That guy, had gotten, that guy hadn't gotten an out since he left Oxford. Yeah, that uh, jeez, I actually I didn't. You want to talk about the biggest upset of the year? Is that guy complete gaming on this? No kidding. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the low point of their season. Yeah. Like, like that guy, Lavis, complete gaming on this. Really? What are we doing? Georgia thinks they had to win two. One probably is okay. Uh, they do well to win a game in Hoover, but they were last five in and then beat Ole Miss on Saturday, so they're sitting in decent shape. The the thing, so here's what, and I'm glad I don't have, and I probably never will for as long as Mike Bianco's there. I don't think I'll ever have to worry about Ole Miss being on the bubble again. It kind of they've kind of got a well old machine running as far as recruiting. But here's the thing that people don't ever understand about the bubble, like they are. First things is they got to put 64 teams in this thing. Okay. Secondly, like yeah, you probably could have won two and been safe, but like other teams played games too and they lost. So nobody else on the bubble did anything. When we're talking about an Alabama team, they got swept for goodness sakes. Um, Kentucky goes one and two. I mean, you know, nobody else did anything, so they still got to put sixty-four teams in this freaking tournament. And if you look outside the SEC, the amount of like bubble teams is not like in the other sports. You're not looking no. across all five leagues or all power five, five leagues. Uh, and looking for like decent teams trying to get in, it's it's not a, there's not a whole lot of that to be had. Right, correct. So uh, that was kind of covered it from the weekend. Uh, any other storylines you're interested in in Hoover? I will uh, sign me up for Georgia LSU in that kind of midnight not not midnight mid afternoon game. Excuse me, uh, in the first day on Tuesday. Uh, South Carolina Alabama's awesome for a myriad of different reasons, and then it just kind of seems like Kentucky has a free shot against Florida. But Florida is another team in the same boat where Ole Miss fans probably should be rooting for Kentucky. Sure. Um, I don't really think it matters. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm rooting Yeah, I guess Kentucky. at 17 and 13, Florida's probably not national seeding. For whatever no. reason, I had them as 18 and 12. 17, 13. No. Um, I actually, because Florida's – so Kentucky held one of their best pitchers after – so this was actually really smart for Kentucky. Uh, they held their best pitcher – but for Sunday or for Saturday, because they knew they had to split with Lighter and Rocker. So they held him for Saturday. And then when they lost both, they didn't even pitch him on Saturday because now they know they have to go on a run in Hoover regardless. He actually came in and closed. Um, and he's going to start on Tuesday against Florida. I actually like Kentucky to beat Florida because Florida is not deep from a pitching perspective at all, which I don't know how that happens at Florida. But I, I actually like Kentucky to win that game against Florida. Okay. Who do you think? I like, and I'll tell you what else I like. I like Alabama to beat South Carolina because South Carolina, all they do from a hitting perspective is hit home runs, and good luck hitting home runs there. Yeah, no kidding. That's a wholly different style of game. And, look, that's kind of Arkansas's MO, too, but Arkansas is a much different caliber offense. South Carolina's offense is atrocious. Arkansas also has the cops on their team. Yeah, that guy, that guy's he's, he's quite good. He's probably the SEC pitcher of the year. I'd probably give it to Doug, but I get the numbers. Um. Who do you think wins this thing? I probably would just go Arkansas. 
God. Um, I mean, if Vanderbilt beats I, Ole Miss, they're set up pretty damn well the rest of the way. But yeah, I don't think they do though, because I think it's going to be Doug against a midweek guy. Um, and I don't think Ole Miss can win it. So, and that probably puts Arkansas in the champion. I'm going to go Arkansas. Yeah, I I'll go Arkansas. I mean, I guess you state could, but I don't talk about kind of struggling offensively. That's not a part to. That's not a ballpark to write your offensive woes, and that's kind of been their their hindrance this uh, this year. I don't know. Arkansas or Tennessee, that, those are two bold picks. The top two seeds are probably going to win it. But it's <laughs> true. Think, yeah, no, I, I think Arkansas is the best setup to win this. Any other storyline before we get to the questions? I've got a couple questions and some numbers I want to throw at you before we get out of here. Anything else from Hoover you, uh, you, you, you're interested in watching, whether it's on the uh, or not? Not really. I mean uh, – I mean, it's kind of just defined what everyone needs. I mean, Kentucky, Georgia, Ellet, or Kentucky and Alabama probably need two to three wins. Uh, LSU and Georgia probably both just need one, but they play each other. So, you know, um, only one of them's getting one. Uh, and then Florida, South Carolina, probably Florida needs probably one win. South Carolina probably needs two to lock up host spots. Ole Miss needs three wins to be a national seed, or they will be a nine to sixteen seed. And then the top four teams are probably locked in national seeds. Fair enough. Um, let's get to the questions here. We did have a few. I it was a light question deal. We didn't have the mailbag Friday because the Thursday Saturday series, and then I asked for questions uh, while most people are probably at church, so that probably wasn't the smartest <laughs> move uh, on my end. Let's see. Chuck Wilson asks, is there ever a good time to bunt? I know the answer, but for you guys who don't understand the game, it should be a fun exercise. I'm guessing he's being sarcastic. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I think he's probably listened to the podcast and is probably messing with us. It looks like he does okay. follow both of us. Um, okay. Um, for so, so here's here's – people accuse me of never wanting to bunt. Um and that's not necessarily true, but there, to me, there is never a set time where you have to bunt right here, right now. Um, I think my theory on bunting in college baseball is as follows. Uh, it's after the seventh inning, or excuse me, it's after the sixth inning. You are up one, tied, or down one, and there's a guy on second base and nobody out. If you bunt that guy from second to third to tie the game, go up by two, or uh, go up by one, I can understand that. Um, I'm not saying you should do that there. Now, to be clear, I just think that is acceptable and, and math, you know, points out that, hey, that's, that's probably okay to, to play for one run there. Any other situation I think is remarkably stupid to play. I have nothing to add to that because I was going to outline the exact same situation. If you're late in a game and you need one run to extend it or maybe an insurance run or one run to win the game, guy on second and a fly ball can get him in and you win, tie, whatever – that's the only other time. I can't think of any other time. So I, I have nothing to add to that. I think he was being sarcastic. If he was being serious, we are not convincing him anyway. I promise. Leatherwood, I think he was being sarcastic. Yeah, I think he was too, the more and more I think about it. And like I said, if he wasn't uh, and he is a big bunting fan, I promise you, you and I are not convincing him at this point. <laughs> Leatherwood and Plumley rotation – Leatherwood slash Plumley rotation thoughts. We kind of hit some of that. Um what do you make of the whole Leatherwood Plumley deal? Um, I text someone, I guess it was Friday, when I saw I think the Leatherwood Plumley deal as if that's some sort of battle. Sorry, just what do you think of both of those guys kind of heading the postseason? I think Leatherwood's fine. No, no, you know what he's talking about, right? No. 
you don't know who started on Friday night, right? No, I do know who started on Friday night. Plumlee started. Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't know if you – because I didn't know if you'd paid attention. No, Let no, I knew that he started because I, I saw it before I was at the game. I was still working. Of course, I got five texts about it. I thought when you texted me too, because I texted you and was like, okay, this might be a health thing. I guess it didn't end up being. But did you make any of that or do you think you were just giving him a day off? I think he was thinking that he's starting against the left. I'm, I'm concerned. I'll be honest. I think Mike thinks Leatherwood can't hit left-handers. Um, and he played Plumlee against the right or against the left-hander. I, I'm concerned about Mike's managing of that going forward, if I'm honest. I, I don't – look, Leatherwood had a tough day on Thursday night, but, like, Peyton Chatney had a tough month. Exactly. That, exactly. Um, and Leatherwood's been your best hitter in SEC play. He, he should be afforded the opportunity to work through things. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I am concerned. Like, let me be very clear. Hayden Leatherwood should be in the lineup every day. And I am concerned going forward that he's not going to be against left-handed pitching. Okay, so I, I guess our confusion on that at the end, uh, like when you were asking, do you know what he's talking about? I, I just assumed, one, he wasn't mentioning that way because I didn't know anyone was reading that much into it. Dude, two weekends ago against Texas A&M, Hayden Leatherwood had like eight hits, and I think he was like retired for the entire series like three times. He had a hit in both the Friday and the Sunday game against Vanderbilt. Yes, he struggled in the midweek against UT Martin. He had, I think, three games in a row without a hit between those two. But you're going to remove him from the lineup based off that. When heading into this weekend, he still had the team's best average in SEC play at 367 tied with McCants. This is a thing? What I mean, what's the other reason for removing him? I, well, okay, like you mentioned, you. I think when I said I think it may be just a guess – it may be some sort of banged up injury thing. And you said maybe, but Mike doesn't get that benefit of the doubt. I guess I will now throw the same counter you threw at me uh, there. I guess he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. I'm just shocked that this is a thing. You don't think there's any sort of, maybe it is, maybe it was the left-hander. Maybe he doesn't think he can hit left-handed pitching. What are his splits? I'll just ask that. That would probably be good. He has a 9.53 OPS against left-handed pitching. Okay. okay. See, The only thing I can come up with is he had some sort of nagging injury thing because, you know, we had a guy tweet us, uh, and I went back and looked at this on Thursday. He did have a couple of swings Thursday where it looked like he was grimacing about something. Did you end up going back and noticing that at all? I didn't. Here's what I'll say. He put Hayden Leatherwood in the game the final two innings to play right field. Okay, well, now it seems like we've just come up – we've come across something that he's uh, potentially going to mess up. I find that insane. I find that that we're having this conversation. I'm glad the man that uh, listens to this show asked us the question, I guess. But I find that we're having this conversation and saying, let me just roll through this for you uh, real quick. Uh, For anyone trying to, uh, I guess, maybe get in our collective headspace. Are you ready for this? Sure. Ole Miss has, see, this is SEC games only. I want to make sure I'm in the right statistic part of it. And now my computer's not cooperating with me. Stop doing this. Okay. (laughs) Oh, all right. SEC play, Hayden Leatherwood sitting 349. That has gone down 18 points uh, from last week. Six home runs, 18 RBIs, six, uh, six, six uh, – What? You're taking that out in favor of Plumlee? Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. What am I missing? 953 OPS against left-handed pitching. 
Uh, okay, God. I guess I'll keep my eye on it. If that happens again, well, we might have a whole other Texas A&M type podcast, which honestly uh, is good for business. The, the two most listened to shows we've had are after Mike and made bonehead decisions. So uh, for part of, part of our sake, go ahead and do it again. But uh, that makes no sense. No, I, I, I'm telling you I'm concerned that against left-handed pitching, John Rice Plumley is going to be in right field. And maybe John Rice Plumley should be in right field um, and Leatherwood should be H. But, or, well, no, you can't do that now um, because, yeah. So, I think John Rice Plumley should actually play, but I don't think it's at Hayden Leatherwood's uh, expense. I think, it, I think it should be at Kel Baker's expense. So, y'all just blew my mind. I did not know this was a thing. I, I guess I just, you know, I see the lineup. I get the text about it. I kind of give my theory it's – Maybe it's a day off. Maybe it's a slight injury thing. Um, and then, of course, I didn't watch that game as closely as the other two, as we outlined. I guess I just missed the fact that this was being read into. So, uh, good God, I hope that doesn't become a thing. Um, let's see. Lane Burroughs to Texas A&M. I'll just leave this to you. Um, so, <laughs> Bracken actually tweeted at me earlier, and it wasn't in relation to the podcast. So that when he tweeted again, I thought it was uh, – I thought I didn't – Realize it was a question for our podcast, so I kind of answered it on there. Uh, I think Vitello takes the Texas A&M job. I, I think he takes the Texas A&M job. Um, if Ross is – so here's here's where I, I, I think this could get a little weird, is that I think Vitello will want to wait and see what LSU does, um, and I don't think Ross will want to give him that opportunity because I think Vitello has a brain and will take LSU instead of uh, Texas A&M. But what happens if LSU doesn't open or LSU goes on a run in the postseason, which I don't see, but I guess they could uh, in Minnery stays. Um, you know, so I think that could get interesting. Uh, but I think if I'm betting that Vitello takes the Texas A&M job. I guess trying to think the best way to ask this, who is the right guy for Texas A&M? Um, so I'll be honest. I don't exactly trust Ross Bjork in a coaching search. Um, Probably baseball. Um, the right guy for Texas A&M is, is, I don't, I mean, it's the best baseball coach because like there are situations where Ole Miss and state where necessarily the best baseball coach or the guy that's won the most, isn't the right hire because of the scholarship situations. But when you're talking about Texas A&M and the ability to recruit Texas, um, and a little bit better scholarship situation, it's, it's really just hire the best baseball coach that will take your job. Um, and I think it's probably Vitello. I think Vitello is the best baseball coach that will take your job. I don't think Tadlock will. I don't think Slosh will. Uh, and I don't think Cliff Godwin will. So I, I would argue that the best person to hire would be Tony Vitello. And then the second person would probably be Kirk Sarlus at Tech TCU as the, uh, the pitching coach. Uh, those would be the two guys that if I'm A&M, I, I kind of try to focus around. I know they want to do the sitting head coach thing, and Vitello makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, if that doesn't work out, I, I don't really think that, you know, the everyone's going to mention TCU and Texas Tech's coach and Slosh and Tadlock. I don't think they'll take that job. And I'm pretty confident Godwin won't either. Um, so, I, I think if I'm them, I, I sent around Vitello and Sarlus. I get it's a status thing to do the head coach. You could also do way worse than Mike Clement. They're not even going to give him the time of day. But Oh, absolutely. no, I know. I was just throwing it out there. I, I am glad they won't, you know, selfishly. My, yes, you could do a hell of a lot worse than Mike Clement. Anyway, uh, let's see. Need a segment on best ideas you guys have to stall a game. This was the – Okay, so you didn't see this, did you? So, no, but I, I was able to gather the context clues and then I watched it afterward because I had people tweeting and texting me about it. Uh, I will add this context from Mr. Will Golson. He said, 
all joking aside, those are the hardest pants to get a belt loop through. Uh-huh. So make of that what you will. Uh-huh. Do you think – all right, here's my question. Do you think this was something they had in place? Or do you think this was like spur of the moment? Or do you think this is something that has happened and they've gone over what they will do with this situation? I, honest to God, is don't Mike think this creative? was spur of the moment. Yeah, no, that, that, so we have the same answer. Is Mike that creative? Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think over 20 years he's run into this situation enough that they have something in place, yeah. Yeah, I, I think they do. It was, Wait, so what's on, your like, answer here? So you, you said spur of the moment. I'm going spur of the moment. You're saying it's place. Oh, no, no, I think this was in place. I, I think they, go, they practiced this. Fair enough. Uh, did not seem to, the, the Georgia fans did not seem to like it. They have a – all right, man, like, come on. Play, play along with me. So, Vince is up. They have a full-on conference with Vince for at least a minute. Nearing no time of this do they realize TJ's belt is broke, okay? During that meeting, they don't realize that. So, they get back to the dugout. Oh, now TJ's belt is broke. So, let's go get TJ a new belt. Well, TJ can't get his belt on now. So now my man just – he screws around with a belt, and now he can't – he just can't get it on. So he goes and plays without a belt. No, like, it gave it away to me, I think, that it was planned when once uh, – well, obviously it was planned, but I think they'd gone over it. Once they have the meeting, they walk back, and then they go give TJ a belt. Okay, so, yeah, so when I say spur of the moment, I don't mean that it wasn't intentional. I, that, oh, I, I started was. the podcast with the Will Golson thing. Oh, the I thought that was hilarious that he tweeted that. I, I just mean spur of the moment of, you know, they meet with Bench and then they need a little more time, so all of a sudden it's, oh, TJ's belt. Like, I, I guess I'm not saying spur of the moment. Do I think that entire thing was orchestrated sometime in February to whip out at some time? No, but they definitely knew what they were doing in the moment. Like, spur of the moment, that could have happened in the dugout a half inning earlier or something like that, or, like, in that moment, I guess, if that makes sense. They were 100% stalling. It's just funny. It was – that was performance art. <laughs> like, it really was. That, that was theater, my man. What is, what is that saying? This is art. This is important. That was awesome. <laughs> 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 that was awesome. I love Golson just being like, no, those pants really are hard to get on. It's like, it's not the looping the belt through the pants. It's when you noticed it. TJ, what TJ should have done, speaking of ways you could stall, was when TJ slid into second, just pick the base up out of the little hole and like, oh, it came up. I don't know. You'll have to fix that. Yes, yeah, maybe sling some dirt in the hole that they have to get out. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, look, our closer. We didn't talk enough about this, and obviously, uh, you know, he closed the two games. Broadway really, really – look, he, he didn't have his best stuff on Friday or Thursday, and Mike even said that. He was dominant Friday night with a breaking ball, just throwing it over and over and over again. It was unhittable. Yeah, it's almost like he doesn't become a talking point anymore because, you know, unless he's doing it in a one-run game in a crucial game, it's just expected, right? Like, I, yeah. you're right. We probably should have mentioned that. He was nails once again to preserve both of those wins. But I think us going almost two hours without mentioning Taylor Broadway doing that uh, just kind of goes to just show how routine he makes something extremely hard uh, to do look to the point yeah. where it's like, okay, yeah, that happened because that's what happens when he comes in. Yeah, the game's over once he arrives. I mean, there's a, I mean, that's why I did elite-level closer. The game is over when – I say this. I don't want to, like, jinx it anything, even though I don't believe in that. But, like, the elite-level closer, that when Cops comes in, it feels over. When Taylor Broadway's comes in, it feels over. And when that Sims kid with Mississippi State comes in, it feels over. That's kind of the trio. Yep, yep. So, uh, good on him. Um, I, I'm hopeful 
that look, I want Ole Miss to win every game they play in Hoover next week. I really don't need Mike overusing him next week. Really don't need that. Absolutely. Uh, I could not agree more. The let's see, we had like one or two more. Is who is cuter, Chance or Neil? What is that, Chance or Neil? Next question. Are they talking about Chase and Neil? I think so. Okay, that one's over my head, so I I, I do not. Uh, Sorry, I do not. I am just going back through uh, uh, Mr. Wilson's TV. I comment about the bunting. He's arguing very, very, uh, very big brain points to Borky about baseball strategy. So I don't think our guy was kidding. I think he. No, this is no this. Yeah, this guy was not kidding. No. Oh, so that's no. a topic. We're, I don't want to revisit that. We're not going back to him. So. Chuck tells was, us, Chuck yeah, tells us was, we do not understand baseball because we don't know when the right time to bunt is. So yes, um, never mind. Yeah, I just delete we, this podcast. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, uh, I yeah because because I can understand math and you know numbers over a hundred years of baseball instead of the guy that wants to bunt you know Kevin Graham so that Jacob Gonzalez can get to second maybe score on a base hit in the fourth inning. Yes, I'm the one that doesn't know baseball and that gentleman is. Uh, yeah, he's having some argument with Borky that Plumley should DH over Harris. Uh, that, yeah, okay, this is a wild ride. We need to get off of this. Anyway, I think that was the last question. Oh, no, was Phil get it done today? I hope so, man. 50-year-old Phil Mickelson holds a one-shot lead in the, in the PGA Championship with the best player in the world, Brooks Kepka behind him. Uh, I, don't, I, love, I, love, I think part of the beauty of golf tournaments is even if you don't follow it for like the first couple of days, or you do, you can go into a Sunday and kind of figure out who you want to root for in the moment and kind of just see how it plays out based on best storylines. I have not been more behind a single person heading into the final round of a major than I will be locked in to Phil today. That would be so badass because not only is Phil 50 and it's a cool golf story, that guy has just slowly given less and less of a shit what he says and when he says it. So if he wins a major at 50, he, his post-game press conference in the victory tour is going to be a riot. That we all should enjoy. Uh, I'll let y'all have that one. I, uh, I'm going to watch some MLB. I haven't watched a ton of, ton of MLB this year because of college. But, yeah, that does sound cool. I, That's uh, a I great playoff that... ba- uh, basketball, too. Yeah, I watched some MLB. Um, Lakers know... can't, can't interest you in that? No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, love, I like the Lakers, but I, the NBA, for whatever reason, just doesn't get it done for me. Um, I, I, so, I'm weird in that, like, I view every type of sport through mathematical – like lenses and I don't understand how 20 point leads get blown. Therefore I can't get into the NBA. Fair enough. I would argue there's much less of those in the playoffs to where the regular season has gotten to be such a crappy product. You know, we don't have to go into this cause we're two hours into this podcast, but you're reaching the point in the NBA is exactly what you're talking about. The regular season and the playoffs are quite literally becoming two entirely different sports. And I like the NBA, but I am more than willing to admit the regular season product, they've got to do something about that. It's becoming almost unwatchable, uh, to your point. And so while they – yes, there's 20-point leads run in the playoffs, the playoffs are an entirely different sport, in my opinion. You almost have to treat it like a different league. It's, it's bizarre. Fair enough. I'll tune in probably after the first round. Um, but, yeah, I, so this is like – I'll, I'll this is the best time of year for me because once Tuesday hits, right, so it's – Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, SEC tournament. Monday, I'm going to get, like, the field. And, I, look, I'm a college baseball nut. Monday, I get the field. So, I'll spend Tuesday and Wednesday, like, looking at teams and regionals and all that stuff. 
And then on Thursday, I'm going to go to Oxford and, and move. I've got an Airbnb for next weekend. So I'll go hang out in Oxford on Thursday. And then Friday, it just gets nuts from that point to the end of my One of the most underrated viewing days of the entire sporting calendar is the Friday, Saturday, Sunday of regional weekend in college baseball. I mean, you can throw yep. Super Region into there as well, but it's kind of like the round of 32 in NCAA basketball where it's still awesome, but just fewer games. We the should. drama and intrigue of th- Friday and Saturday in particular of regional weekend is so awesome. We should do this. Like, and, and it's going to be a little hard. Um, but, you know, they have college baseball betting lines for, like, regional games and stuff. We should, like, post picks and stuff. Why not? Because uh, I, I think – and they actually, they actually have the SEC tournament. I, could, uh, I think we could actually make some money if we actually did it. I'll, uh, I'll let you spearhead that, but I'll gladly support. <laughs> okay. I just don't want to be responsible for people losing money and then someone come, like, try to shoot up my house. Anyway, just kidding. But uh, it's, it's going to be awesome. It's a great – I mean, now I, we were just talking about today. It, this sporting calendar, we deserve this. Like, enjoy – if you're going to games – I went to a major league game on Friday. Like, go enjoy yourself if you're enjoying this and soak it all in because, damn it, we deserve it after the last year that we had. Today Are we're you, about to have playoff basketball, MLB baseball, PGA Championship with Bill Wilson and Bill's Captain the League. We're going to have a week of basketball, a week of baseball, and it's just going to continue to get better, and then football will be here. So please enjoy this because we all deserve it. Um, did, did they have a mask policy at the Rangers game? Uh, no. Uh, really? Wow, that's interesting. The world was – like, that was a normal baseball game pre-pandemic. The entire – it wasn't a sellout, but it was almost full. No, uh, no mask, no nothing. They are, we're wide open over here, baby. There we go. I like to hear that. Yeah, so it was cool. It was cool to get back to it. So, uh, I had some number stuff, but I'm going to save that for another pod just because uh, we've, we've gone long enough and there's plenty of time to get to that. So, sure. uh, we'll cut it off here. Everybody enjoyed their Sunday, Monday. I appreciate the time as always, dude. Glad you enjoyed the birthday. And uh, I don't know when we'll pod this week. We'll kind of see. We're not doing it for Tuesday, but we'll do one during Hoover, depending on what they do. When, Wednesday's going to be tough if Ole Miss wins because I'm going to – so you have to work on Wednesday, I'm sure, and I'm going to be driving to Hoover at like 4 o'clock on Wednesday. So Thursday – see, this, this is going to be tough because if Ole Miss wins, they're playing at night every night. Right. Um, just, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go hard TBA. Yeah. yeah. My, same, as, same as Ole Miss's uh, pitching rotation for Tuesday. Well, yeah, and at the same time, if they lose Tuesday and they're one and done, there's no reason for us to hop back on on Wednesday either. So the next concrete show will be our post-selection Monday show, baseball-wise. I'll have something in the midweek, whether it's Colin and I doing it or me just grabbing something and going in a different direction. We'll have something in the middle of the week, but the next baseball show, guaranteed, will be the Selection Monday show. Fair enough? Sounds good. Sounds good. Awesome. I appreciate the time. As always, dude, everybody have a safe and happy uh, start to your week. Thanks for listening as always, and we will catch you next Monday, maybe sooner.